Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Kofefi Break on Unsafe Space. This is our live semi-weekly show that we do at 11 a.m. PST on Mondays and Fridays. I am your co-host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, for Kofefi Break, Carrie Smith, who wears a hat greater than 50% of the time. We've, we've come to that conclusion. <laughs> now that we don't do pre-recorded Kofefis, I never get to do the intros. <laughs> to be out of practice eventually oh tiger's practicing for you maybe we'll have to have carrie do uh well carrie will be able to do intros if if she gets some of her tech working on her end uh, but you can do intros carrie oh she can't even hear me you can do intros uh for uh pre-recorded content more we should we should do that so. uh this Sorry about that. The mailman came a little early, it looks like. So anyway, welcome. If it's your first time here, like Carter said, we do this show live twice a week now. We do it Mondays and Fridays. We also have a show called Deprogrammed, where we often, not always, but often interview people. Um, And that show, Deprogrammed, is specifically about deprogramming people from the social justice ideology. Uh, Yesterday, we got to do a discussion with James Lindsay. It was the second time we've had him on. And it was great. It was amazing. I loved it. I loved his, I could have gone another his, three hours. <laughs> no, no, you're wrong. I, I couldn't have. No, no I could have. No, I was right about that. Another time. No, but Maybe I mean, you couldn't have think, gone for three more hours. <laughs> no, because then it gets boring. Then it gets way too long. Like we should have people back like a second time, but like not go over. We already did two and a half hours. Like people. I know. Just, I'm saying I enjoyed I, it so much. I personally could have kept going. I didn't say it was a yes, good idea for I the enjoyed audience. It. Yes. True. Um, so as I was saying, we did a show yesterday with James Lindsay and it was his second time uh, coming on. And I really liked his analogy about the trees. That was Mike's tree analogy. Uh, that but was he his barred, analogy, right? Yeah. Oh, Mike's analogy. Well, he's the one that told us it. So yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a good one. Um, I, he is, <clears throat> The amount of research that he's done, and I think Helen as well, uh, we should have her back on as well, but the amount of research that he's done and the amount of learning that he's done, he's he's done his homework, and it shows because he really is, uh, he's a ninja when it comes to <laughs> dismantling this stuff, and uh, it's, yeah. he's, a, he's a pleasure to talk to because he can go super deep um, and defend everything he's saying, so if you haven't seen it, go... Go watch the James Lindsay episode. Um, Harry, <laughs> related Dr. to K, the James. Dr. Oh, go ahead. Dr. K says, I'm finishing up reading White Fragility and I'm losing my mind, but I'm here for healing. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. This is the place healing. to heal from that. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I, I went back, I, I was telling someone else the other day, Dr. K, that I was glad that you were reading it because I felt like someone needed to die, like just like read it and take it apart and. I it just it was such a distasteful task to me. <laughs> I'm glad that someone oh, else wanted God. to do it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, speaking of the episode yesterday with James Lindsay, one thing we did not do was we got some super chats, but we didn't put them up on the screen because we really wanted to give James an opportunity to kind of um, talk about whatever he wanted to talk about and kind of let keep the conversation going without interrupting it with with questions for him or, or super chats. Uh, but we and did. also, it's hard to pay attention to that kind of a conversation, and and also read super. That one was hard for me to multitask. So I'm sorry, also that I, I just 
I couldn't. I can never multitask. So and do that. Sometimes it's easier, but with him, I felt like I have to be very plugged in. Yeah. So thank yeah. you guys so much for the super chats. Yeah. So we're just gonna read this. We recorded the super chats from yesterday, and we're just gonna read them. Uh, I can't put them on the screen, but we can give you official thank yous and read them. So. Uh, really quickly, Sylvia gave us, Sylvia Posos gave us $5 and she says a bit off topic from CRT, which is uh, critical race theory. What's the issue with the querying Plato essay? It's, it is Butler's initial, is it Butler's initial premise? Thank you for your work. Now, obviously that question is for James. I can't answer it. I don't know. Uh, Carrie, you I'm know, sorry about Butler that, better, better, but I don't know. You can answer that either. Yeah, that's actually a Foucault thing that she's referencing. Um, but I, 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 we would have to, you know what? I'll tweet it at him and see if he'll answer it. I'm sorry. Okay. That's a good idea. Um, Miles Kinsel gave us five bucks. Says, "Hey guys, love this conversation. Also loves James's Triforce T-shirt. Yeah, uh, I love that as well." Sylvia gave us another two bucks and said, "I'm very grateful for y'all three's work." And Helen. Uh, and Peter Bogosian, by the way, who we should have on. Uh, Murray Buskey gave us $2 because apparently I swore, and that goes in the Carter Swear jar. <laughs> Thank <laughs> uh, you, Murray. Uh, R-C-H-G-O-E-P-P. I'm not even going to, I don't know how to pronounce that one. Uh, gave us five bucks saying, can you comment on family privilege? Probably directed at James, but I bet Carrie could comment on family privilege. No, I don't know what you mean by that. Well, oh. I mean, unless you unless what you mean is having the privilege of growing up in a two parent house, relatively stable two parent household. Yeah, I think that's what it means, right? Oh, yeah. So they yeah. never talk about that privilege, but you know, they intersectionality says we're all privileged and marginalized in different ways, but they conveniently ignore probably the most important ways anyone is privileged or marginalized, which have to do with what country they're born in, their what financial class, what what amount of wealth or poverty they're born into and what kind of family they're born into. They ignore those things completely. Right. You could be, you know, uh, I've mentioned this before, but because I'm white, they say, uh, I'm an oppressor because I'm a woman. I'm also oppressed. Um, but neither of those things are being, being white is not the greatest privilege I was born with by a long shot. The greatest privilege I was born with was being born in the United States. Um, and being also, I'd say another one is being born to a middle-class family with means, um, able to go to college. Um, although look how that turned out. I became a social justice warrior. <laughs> you had the, um, you had the luxury of being able to pay for self-indoctrination. Yes. Self-indoctrination, yes, but and then the greatest marginalization, I would say, wasn't that uh, isn't that I'm a woman. It's that I grew up with an abusive parent. So, you know that, and and they say on average, kids who grow up with a stable two-parent home on average are going to have a lot more opportunities for success throughout life. It doesn't mean you can't if you don't grow up that way. It just means that on average, as a group, like that's one fundamental privilege they completely ignore. Yeah, the thing I don't like about the word privilege, and I never have, is uh, privilege in the past was reserved was reserved for um, an exceptional circumstance that was non-standard, right? So, like, rich kids had privilege because, like, oh, not everyone gets to, you know, get a pony for their 16th birthday. And, like, there, there's, like, privilege or there's, like, not everyone is the president's son, right? That That was what privilege used to refer to. It was something that was... Uh, 
abnormal that was above and beyond what what normal people had. When you talk about white privilege, like, uh, hello, <laughs> there's a lot of like a lot of people. The country, the majority of the country, I think, still is white. It's not a privilege. That's just n- normal. It's like that's just a, a normal thing. Having two parents, I hope, is still normal. Maybe that's getting to be less normal. But calling these things privilege when they're just part of normal society it is a way to make you feel like you're getting something unearned. Um, that because it, it it makes you feel like it's an inheritance of some kind that's unearned. By the way, that is unusual. Well, you just walked into a huge SJW trap. Oh, I don't think so. Yeah. No, but you did. They don't like that. They are against anything that's normal. They view that as normal. Normalcy itself is privilege. That's why they use like, heteronormativity. I'm not, I'm not trapped by that because that's not how math I know. works. Normal is what's statistically average. Like it's normal. It's within one standard deviation. Right. That's of why the I'm mean. giving you an opportunity to define it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they can trap you by redefining words all the time, right? But that's not. Don't don't let yourself get caught by the normal trap. That's bullcrap. Uh, and calling something abnormal isn't isn't uh, saying some something or someone is abnormal is not a slight. They may be abnormally genius, right? Like <laughs> abnormal just means outside of the standard. It could be bad. It could be good. Uh, it could be neutral if you're talking about a, a trait that's morally neutral. Uh, so. Yeah, but anyway, the, the the word privilege bothers me. So, they I I bet they like the idea of family privilege because it tries to make it sound like oh, if you have two parents, uh, and a, a a normal home in that sense, like a a stable two family or two parent family, then you're somehow privileged, <laughs> right? They're trying to take all the normalcy and make it privileged. <sighs> all right. So what I was saying is that they will, you will fall into this trap if you have discussions with them and you use that word just to be aware of it. They view normal as a privilege and they view just the word you use, the standard. Why is that the standard, right? Right, so, but you can't, you can't tiptoe around words that they're going to make into traps. They're going to make, they can make any word into a trap. You just have to speak normally. And no, you just need to know about, you, you need to know what you mean though. And you need to know ahead of time what they're going to say. Yeah, and yeah, if you have if you have an understanding for the meaning of the the actual meaning of the words that you're using and they try and spring a trap on you, just think back into your head what the definition is that you're using and like usually they're equivocating or they're coming up with some other definition. Um because you know, that's <laughs> normal is not a word that carries moral relevance. Although that's what they're trying to to tag mm-hmm. onto it. Let's do some more uh, super chats from yesterday. Uh, Jason M says, question for James. What would be, uh, by the way, he sent us five bucks. Thank you, Jason M. Uh, He said, what would be the biggest Achilles heel of woke ideology when facing it? That is a question for James. Carrie, do you have a thought on what the biggest Achilles heel for facing, you know, for woke ideology when you're facing it? The biggest Achilles heel? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a couple. I mean, it's it's a contradictory belief system. So what I was saying just a second ago is know what you mean and know what their arguments are in advance. But they're not really arguments, but they're, they're routes of attack, they're methods of attack. So you can define what you're saying. 
they will try to use a lot of double meanings of words like that colorblind word. That was a great example he used yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And normal being one of those. Right. Right. Um, yeah. There is a lot of internal contradictions that's true. and external contradictions. It doesn't have a correspondence to reality. Um, I don't know. Can I ask you a question just as someone who was a social justice warrior for 20 years? It seems like, because I know that arguing with them and showing contradictions might not help. It seems like one Achilles heel might be, uh, it's kind of a miserable existence psychologically to be a social justice warrior. It is. Well, it is very miserable. <laughs> That's for sure. I don't know how you leverage that, but, um, all right. Also, yesterday, Little Ragamuffin sent us 10 bucks, says, if all the ones fighting against the merit system just put an ounce of e that energy into actually working hard, they might just have the best life possible. Yes, uh, certainly. You know, I, uh, this is kind of a tangent, but whatever. Uh, I had this conversation with my daughter this morning because she, she read a book that was um, so she didn't like. She wrote a fiction book that she didn't like. And what we untangled about it was most of the books that she likes, <clears throat> that she reads, um, have a story about that the protagonist has a journey. They go on a journey, not physical, but whatever. They go on some kind of journey. And the protagonist, the, the path for that journey, whether it's tragic at the end or, or good, the path is ultimately the result of numerous decisions that the hero or the protagonist made right and so it's a it's a it's a protagonist with agency things are happening not to the protagonist but because of the protagonist the protagonist is making choices good or bad and and the story progresses and the book that she read that she didn't like the protagonist was um everything there were no choices involved it was a description of all the things happening to the protagonist constantly and there was not even psychological choices, right? There wasn't there wasn't the protagonist functioning as an agent, uh, making choices to make her life better or worse. And we talked about that being one of the premises for um, certain political ideologies, which is that you're kind of stuck in your station as an object and you don't have agency. And so what you're getting to, Little Ragamuffin, is that the kind of more individualist perspective is you do have agency and it doesn't mean that I can be a star basketball player, but it does mean I can better my life in some ways if I work hard and apply myself. And that is antithetical to the social justice ideology. One of the things I noticed, I was thinking about uh, yesterday is I've noticed there, there are the people who are against woke ideology or who, or, who are not down with it, who are too afraid to say anything about it. And we hear from those people all the time. And I totally understand that. I've said before, they have good reason to be afraid. And I think everybody gets over that fear individually at their own rate. Um, and, and in small ways or in ways that are important, you know, with their family or people, or whoever, people in their life who are talking about it, maybe they get over that fear incrementally. Um, but there's another kind of person I've heard from recently, and there aren't as many of these, but there've been a couple people from my past who popped up who also do not believe in woke ideology also are too afraid to say anything, but are like 
the the difference is they're hostile. They're like hostile, this resentful hostility towards me for saying for speaking up, mm-hmm. and it made it's me um, it made me think of the book Ordinary Men that we just read for book club because it made me think of it, I think it's almost they the very act of me speaking punctures their their belief that they don't have a choice. Exactly. They don't like they don't like having the choice. They don't like having the choice and they're not they're uncomfortable with the fact that they're choosing to be quiet. They're not just in acceptance. Most people I know who talk to us, they're they're against the woke ideology. They're afraid. They accept that they're afraid. They're working on it, but and they're grateful for anyone who's speaking against it. But this type of person it's like they can't accept their own fear or something. And they're, well, they're, uh, they lie, they're, they're hiding behind the idea. They're, they're telling themselves a lie that they have no choice. And you are blowing that lie out of the water. Right. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, we, it's a strange thing, but it made me think of that book, ordinary men, the part yeah. where it, you know, the, the reserve police officers, uh, the German police officers almost preferred once the choice, like the first time they were sent out to do a killing squad and to have to, um, murder, you know, hundreds of Jewish people, they were offered, they said, if anybody doesn't think they're up for it, you know, you can beg off now. And the second time they did it, they weren't given that option. And they almost preferred that because then it was like, they could go into it with the illusion that they didn't have a choice to do anything differently. And, and that's what I think that that's where I think this resentful hostility is, is similar coming from people who are like, they want to believe that they don't have a choice. Right. Right. Because because yeah. if they don't have a choice, they're not morally responsible and therefore they don't have to feel bad about themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, you yeah. Know, if you remove it's, it's agency, you remove, you remove moral culpability. Anyway, so. you just made me think of that talking yeah. about lack of choices. And it's almost like they're they're more comfortable believing that that there is no free will. And well, they are. I mean, know. look at I mean. Not to get we don't we won't rewind all the way to James Lindsay yesterday and, and look at the history of all this, but like all the way back to Marx and Hegel, like the, the, it's the it's the false consciousness idea that you're you are part of a particular class or in in they've modernized it part of a particular group or part of a whatever, and you don't actually have agency. You are a product of your your uh, your environment your product of the social construction of where you are and like you don't have you can't um mm-hmm. and uh i think it also allows them to forgive behavior that we would normally call um bad behavior because well we must behave this way because this is or these people must behave this way because this is all that's left to them they don't have a choice um, right so um all right, you want to move on to a couple other chats? We're almost done. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, uh, Nunya Biz, thank you, Nunya Biz. Nunya Biz says, can we get a movement to rename intersectionalism as systemic daddy issues? Carrie, <laughs> thoughts? I like the comment. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can. You are now officially in charge of that movement, Nunya Biz. Um, Gregory Nicholson gave us five bucks saying, uh, thank you, Gregory, saying, uh, CRT liberationists tactics of problematizing seems unquenchable. We can all be made equal with enough force, but such force means monopoly of power. Yeah, that's the Harrison Bergeron story, which Carrie uh, brought up. And we've then since referenced a few times is a great example. If you haven't read this short story, 
Um, the Kurt Vonnegut short story called Harrison Bergeron, it's available for free online. Uh, it's a an example of a society that believes that making everyone equal is uh, to be done with force and is the moral ideal. And it's the it's the dystopia you would imagine. So, and this is the purity spiral thing. The problematizing everything is unquenchable. This is why they infight, right? They're always they always need a scapegoat, and so uh, when they kick the the people on the outside out at some point, they, you know, they find a scapegoat, kick them out. Well, the next thing they're doing is looking for another scapegoat for something, and so uh, that's why they kind of self self implode often. Uh, two bucks from Noah N yesterday saying thank you so much for thank this you, talk. Noah. So good. And the last one yesterday, Eke Homer gave us five bucks and said, thanks for a fantastic conversation. So thank you all guys for the super chats and gals for the super chats yesterday. Um, and we have one so far today, which we're going to throw up on the screen. Ninja Kitty says, uh, there was one sale on last Friday, Kofefi. Need you all to step up your game. Ninja Kitty's got a little contest where he's, he's wanting to, uh, he donates a dollar for every sale that you guys do during Kofefi, I think Friday Kofefis. And so um, he's very, I guess he's disappointed and wants to donate more, but you know. I just want to say thank you to, uh, before we move on, just like odds and ends, thank mm -hmm. you. I got my coffee cup from Heather. I love it. Thank you. Don't be a puppet with a pitchfork, guys. And I like my little piece of art. It's super cool. And Tabitha, Carter forgot to send me my shawl. I know. He's, <laughs> it's he still is right sending here. it. <laughs> He's he wants the shawl for himself, I, my dolly. I put it. Look, here's what I I was I was so stupid. I packaged up the box. I sent the the note that you left, Tabitha. I sent everything else, but I just yeah. forgot to put the scarf. In. So look at this. Tabitha's daughter drew this for me. Or the shawl. Isn't this cool? Anyway, I like it. I'm yeah. fit on my wall. Thank you very much. Uh, um, oh well. Thank you for the super chat, GL Scott. He says, I want a mug. I know. So, and actually, I have GL news. Scott, we have mugs coming. I have mugs in my house. They arrived last night. I have a giant oh, wow. box of mugs. So they are now finally coming. I can ship mugs. If you are owed a mug, you will get a mug. Um, thank you for your patience, but they finally arrived. So um, for those of you who don't know how to get so, a mug, you go subscribe on Subscribestar for $25 or more a month. And you are in the, I was going to say mug club, but I feel like they just stole that from Steven Crowder. So you get a mug. So, <laughs> you get a mug. All right. Uh, <laughs> Tabitha. <laughs> <laughs> Tabitha just super chatted and gave us five bucks for money for postage for po to send Carrie's shawl. <laughs> Thank you very Thanks, much. I, um, okay. So one other housekeeping thing, and then we'll get going. The, we would like to go to the Better Discourse Conference coming up in August. Our friend Mike Harlow, who's been on the show before, is going to be speaking, along with a bunch of other interesting people. Uh, Zuby, who we've interviewed before. Um, Sean Fitzgerald, who's actual justice warrior. We've interviewed him before. Um, then there are a bunch of people we would like to talk to and maybe try to get some interviews. Peter Bogosian's going to be there. He's the, um, he worked, he's the guy that worked with um, James Lindsay. He's done a book with James Lindsay um, and Helen Pluckrose and... Um, and I would love to get a chance to say hi to him. Uh, who else is going to be there that Milo? Uh, oh, Sargon Milo is going to be there. Melissa Chen, Lauren mm -hmm. Chen. Anyway, we would like to go. We're, we're trying out for the first time ever an event specific fundraiser. So if you go to unsafe space do slash donate, you'll see all the links and one no, of them will take goal. you to our slash goal. 
just go to unsafepace.com slash goal. It'll take you right to the Subscribestar page with the uh, goal listed there, and you can... Yeah, so you go to Subscribestar. There's a specific goal. Um, Doctor, I'm going to be on Dr. K's channel this coming week. Um, we'll announce the time. And she has said that she will donate all proceeds from the super chat the day that I'm on her show oh. to our little fund to help Carter and I go to the conference, get tickets to the conference, uh, plane tickets, everything. And that's super awesome. I hope you guys tune into that. And I think Carter now we have Becky helped us. We created a graphic to promote our little fundraiser, but then I created my own graphic because Mike Harlow was throwing a pool party in the hotel. Are you? What? <laughs> So look, I'm I'm not pu- I'm not stopping you from putting it up. I'm just okay. Can you see that? It's my so I have a bunch of floaties cuz if you're in Texas you have to have floaties. Everybody does. Um it says send Carter to better discourse conference so he has to go to the pool party, choose a floaty and have intermittent fun. That's cuz I couldn't fit intermittent frivolity on there. It was too long. Well, I only have frivolity, not fun. So <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> the funny thing, I just think it's funny, but I know you. You would you would totally pick. I even know which floaty you would pick. What floaty would I pick? The shark. Probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, we have a pool. I have been known to uh, to to lay around on floaties uh, in the, in the warmer months. <laughs> Maybe even this weekend, I'll lay around on a floaty. Lie around on a floaty. Um, Couple super chats coming in. I just want to acknowledge before we get them lost. Uh, let's see. <laughs> this is one from GL Scott. He says, "This is five bucks for moving the picture." Carrie knows what I mean. <laughs> Does she? Thank you. Oh, GL Scott. I do know. Thank <laughs> you, Scott. I, I think he did not like that picture you used to have in your background, or it was it was crooked or something. So I what? think he's happy. Remember there was a painting behind you? Oh, it's still behind you. It's still behind you. He just can't. Yeah, but we're split screen, so he can't see it. I I hate to tell you, Scott, that that picture's still there. There it is, Scott. There you go. (laughs) Uh, It's actually, it's uh, Hippolyte Flandrin. It's in the, I think it's in Musée d'Orsay. might be in the Louvre. Um, I like it. Some people are creeped out because there's a man in it who appears naked. But if most Renaissance art, people are naked. So deal with it um and uh it actually wasn't the picture that i wanted behind there i had a different one but it had glass on it and there was a glare and the lights like glared annoyingly and stuff so actually i was if i can return the other one there i will um and that one doesn't have anyone in it so you'll be very happy and your uh sensibilities will not be offended uh although people did think i was a satanist because i had a picture of a naked person behind me and a skull so you know what are you gonna do you can't you can't please everyone uh, you occasionally, you you know, we will occasionally get um, com- strange, seemingly out of left field or right field, as it were, uh, comments about things that it just reminds me there are, I guess, extremist types of points of view on any. I'm not talking about Scott, by the way. I'm t- I'm just saying there was somebody once who thought, yeah, said that you were like a Satanist because they there was a you had a skull candle in the background or something, and then they commented yeah, they were like about whatever I have my books and stuff. They were like, what's that book about fairies? (laughs) I know. (laughs) These are are the same people that wouldn't let me play Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid. (laughs) Yeah. What does that white horse mean? I'm like, oh gosh, it's just a horse. (laughs) 
Yeah, I still have. I have. I guess I have some creepy stuff back there. I don't know. Um, I. You know what I'll do just for you, GL Scott, because GL Scott sent another super chat about this topic, uh, which we'll put up on the screen <laughs> in a minute. I will this weekend see if the other pick painting can go back there because I like the other painting better. Also, um, by the way, Scott sent another super chat, and here's the thing: Scott's not a prude. Scott is saying. In his another in his new super chat, he says, "I have to choose between making eye contact with Carter and looking at a naked man." I think he means he's going to choose the naked man. <laughs> I don't care. You look so. at the naked man, dude. Uh, enjoy yourself. That's it's you're supposed to. It's hard. Uh, okay, uh, another super chat from Jeffrey Bargeron. 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 Probably. Uh, thank you, Jeffrey. He says, "Funny story. I told a friend about the SJW ideology. She called me a conspiracy theory nut. I told her." Your daughter is t talking it, LOL. What's scary, her daughter is only in the ninth grade. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, this is the thing that, um, I think we mentioned this yesterday, but I mentioned it to someone yesterday. I don't remember if it was during the James Lindsay show, so I'm, and this may be a repeat, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the Frankfurt School philosophers clearly, like they laid out their plans very clearly. It's an instruction manual. We're going to, uh, we're going to go take over. We need to take over the institutions. We need to like do that. Like w w the only way to have equal, uh, the only way to have fair discourse is to um, silence the, the right and, and um, prop up the quote progressive with, by they mean, they mean Marxist left. Like that's the, it's very like, they're, they're very clear about we're going to go indoctrinate. It's not a secret. It's no. not something we've had to piece together. <laughs> No, you know, yeah, it's not, yeah, there's not like, we don't have a room in the back with like little red strings with pins between pictures and like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think that, I think they're taking over universities. Like they said it and did it and admit it constantly. So, uh, it's not, it's not a conspiracy theory. Uh, you know, Jeff what's the conspiracy says, theory? Um, the conspiracy theory is that they're not doing it. Yes. <laughs> to try and, and pretend like this ideology isn't around and hasn't been around for decades and try and ignore the fruits of this ideology. That's that, that takes a lot of mental gymnastics, I think. Yeah. Jack Straw says, are school kids being forced to bend the knee? Yes. Um, so it, it, you know, I was indoctrinated in college, but that was 20 years ago. It's since infiltrated all the public schools. And so most elementary schools are now teaching critical race theory. They're teaching that, um, whiteness, we saw this, uh, graphic at the what was it African American History Museum that they put up that they said whiteness is uh, rugged individualism you know whiteness is right. being on time whiteness <laughs> is meritocracy whiteness if I were black I would be so offended racist. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's so racist and they don't even see how racist it is but you know that kind of stuff wasn't surprising to me because Carter and I did an episode probably a year ago on the New York City uh, public yeah. schools. Remember that? They they were using the same talking points. It's the same uh, curriculum that, that that museum was using, which is to say whiteness is all of these things. And and they're saying it in such a way that it's like, you know, you know who wouldn't have a problem with this sign? White supremacists. Like that's how similar they are to white supremacy. And, but yeah, they're teaching it in schools and, and are they being forced to bend a knee? Yes. Because kids already like think about middle school before you had to grapple with any 
overwhelming ideology and whether you conformed or not. Maybe you could compare it to if you went to school in a place where there was one predominant religion, right? Whether that was Christianity or Islam or, or whatever, or, or if it was Jewish, the Jewish faith. Maybe if you went to school in a place where there was one form of belief and you felt um, you felt like you needed to conform, you could compare it to that. But there's nothing quite like this. I have this is this is a, to a different magnitude. And so kids who are already under pressure to fit in and to conform, you know, all the stuff they're doing on social media, the black squares, blackout Tuesday, the virtue signaling, the BLM hashtags, all of that. If they're not doing it, those kids are being shamed. They're being harassed. I have a friend, her daughter, her daughter, who's in high school, was harassed for posting a picture um, it might have been on Blackout Tuesday, posting a picture that didn't have anything to do with Blackout Tuesday. Other students piled on her. How dare you show a picture of yourself happy with someone else, right? Like doing something other than what we're doing. And then one of these kids created a fake profile, like pretended to be an older woman mm -hmm. and started harassing her daughter. And she's smart enough and she's an involved enough parent that she she took over her daughter's social media for a while and she wrote back to this person and was like, you know, I don't like, she realized it was a kid pretending to be so, like a woman who's harassing her daughter for not complying, for not, you know, doing the, uh, the, the knee bending, the virtue signaling, posting the right things, conforming. They are bullying children who are not speaking the words. And we just heard from James yesterday, you know, a parent was saying to him that, that th their kids were speaking some of this stuff and, and the, the parent asked them like, what do you mean by that? Can you explain it? Like trying to make the kid think a little bit about what they're saying. And they were like, well, I don't know. That's just what everybody's saying. That's just what everybody's saying. Right. <laughs> the dirty secret is kids have been shame. giving that answer for 20 years. Uh, it's just that they haven't been saying anything you've been questioning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Um, we have another super chat from why bother? Thank you, why bother? Why bother says, reading 1984 from reading it like 15 years ago, I remember the plot and general feeling. Now the specific details are striking. Wow. Yeah, it was one of our early book club books. If you, when you're done, you should go um, rewatch that book club discussion. And, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, a. it isn't <laughs> that Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451, and now we're reading Atlas Shrugged. Those are the, are those the only four fiction books we've read so far? I think so. Um, and all four of them have something relevant to say about the state of where we are. Um, this Here's the super chat that you mentioned earlier from GL <laughs> Scott. So we'll just put that up. We already read it. Uh, here's a super chat from Westy40. Westy40, thank you, Westy40. He says... Great show yesterday. The only slight disagreement I had with James was when he said, we're a secular nation. America's government is secular, but its values society are rooted in Judeo-Christian values. I don't know that he would disagree with that. I think when he said we're a secular nation, he meant... Uh, You're free to choose. We're free to... Yeah. I, I, we're, we're not... There's not a, there's not a national religion. Um, so, uh, yeah. I mean, and there are, there are debates between people about... Like, there are definitely atheists like me who believe that the founding of the nation, the, the principles that that were articulated, um, and, and many of the founding fathers, I think, talked about this, and, and, and the philosophers upon whom they relied, right? It was based on natural rights, and, 
you can argue that natural rights come from Christianity, but you can also argue natural rights from um, secular positions. And so uh, my guess is that James would, would argue that it was a natural rights, and he personally might think that it was secular, but I don't think he would disagree with the fact that there was uh, Judeo-Christian, or more specifically, Christian, the American Christianity that Mm-hmm. that embraced those rights, the the individualism version of Christianity. Because clearly, clearly Christianity, you could argue Christianity was a necessary condition for the founding of America, which maybe at that time in history is true. I'm not, I don't know enough to even argue about it. I don't think it's, obviously as an atheist, I don't think it's necessary generally. Um, but uh, you could argue that it was a necessary condition, but you can't argue that it's a sufficient condition, right? Because Christianity spent, <laughs> right, I don't know, 1700 years not being America. So uh, there's clearly something more than just Christianity, which is a very broad brush to paint a religion with. There's lots of different belief systems. There's, you know, aside from Catholic and Protestant, there's uh, there's lots of different belief systems and ways of practicing Christianity. And the founding fathers' particular way of practicing was very, or at least the way that they wanted to implement it, was not a theocracy. It was very personal. It was giving you the freedom to practice religion in whatever way you wanted. Like there was, that was a particular type of Christianity. It wasn't just Christianity generally, because Christianity generally uh, was practiced for, you know, over a millennia and didn't lead to America. Uh, okay. So, sorry. Go I ahead. just sent you two graphics. Can when you get a second, can we talk about these? Yep. Let me just do the super chat, and then I will uh, look up the graphics. So, uh, Meigs two ninety four sends us a super chat. Thank you, Meigs. Meigs says just donating to a service that I've used and helped me out. Y'all go to that conference. Thank you, Meigs. <laughs> uh, Thank you. I I want to. We don't do. We don't look for sponsors for this show. That's intentional. Uh, I would love for YouTube to actually let us run ads, but that's a hit or miss thing. Who know, Who knows if that'll sometimes happen? Sometimes they do. Sometimes most. Let's say fifty percent of the time they don't let us. It just. I never it depends. know. Yeah. No. It depends. Um, but I. I really appreciate uh, Meeg's super chat here and everyone's, but like the statement that comes with Meeg's super chat because. Look, uh, we're trying to provide value. If we don't provide you any value uh, other than wasting your time, then uh, then you shouldn't be donating to us. But if we are providing you value, then yeah, please please go ahead and donate. I mean, you you spend ten bucks a month on Netflix or whatever it is. I don't know what Netflix is now. Um, so if we're providing some value, you should pay for services that you think are valuable. Um, you don't have to think we're valuable, um, but if we are, and you can afford it. Um, we do really appreciate it, and that's a moral statement that was just made there, so uh, I appreciate that. So let's, Carrie, why don't you, I will I will look for what you're asking here. You, so you one of these is, images, huh? this kind of thankfully got a lot of attention the past couple of days. The National Museum of African American History and Culture wants to make you aware of certain signs of whiteness, individualism, hard work, objectivity, the oh, is this nuclear what you were just talking family, about? Yeah. yeah, the nuclear family, progress, respect for authority, delayed gratification, and more. Now, and and as Carter said, this is this is offensive and racist on many levels, but especially racist towards anyone who's not white. 
Um, but this goes, I'm glad they put this up because this is what we've been saying for a while now. They are very similar to white supremacists in their foundational beliefs. It's, I call it the other side of the, the same like messed up coin, <laughs> you know, it's a fraudulent coin and there's two sides to it, but they're the same coin. They're both, it's both a racist, they're both racist collectivists. It's all about your identity. And they even share a lot of the same tenets about whiteness, um, and which this graph made clear. So Carter's putting it on the screen now. Uh, this is something the museum was putting out. Aspects and assumptions of whiteness and white culture in the United States. And then look at the, some of the stuff they're saying. This is all positive stuff. And this is nothing, this is not white. If, if you're, if you are unclear on this, this is absolutely racist to say that these are these are aspects of whiteness. None of these things know any skin tone. Um, you know, rugged individualism. The individual is the primary unit, self-reliance. Independence and autonomy are highly valued and rewarded. Yeah, imagine that, independence and autonomy being highly valued and rewarded. Uh, individuals are assumed to be in control of their environment. You get what you deserve. Carter, this goes to what you were talking about, where they want to pretend like they have, just because you can't tomorrow choose to be um, like a millionaire, like I wake up one morning and say, I want to be a millionaire. Then they pretend like they have no agency that whatsoever. Like you can't control your environment at all. That's BS. Uh, nuclear yeah. family, they're, go, go ahead. Actually, but yeah, just on rugged individualism really quickly. Yeah. What's interesting to me about this is um, if I almost read this as like I'm imagining if I were black and I wanted to uh, exercise independence and autonomy and I wanted to be rewarded for it and I expected to be and I and I wanted to reward other people for that and I wanted to assume and I was consuming assuming I was in control of my environment, if that's the world I wanted to live in, I feel like they're saying, if you're black, you can't live in a free society. You have, there's some other set of rules that society works for, for black people. Yeah. And they're not allowed to be in a society where the individual is the primary unit and there's self-reliance. There's, they need to be in the Marxist utopia. It's, uh, it's really horrifying because, uh, <laughs> The individual society is by far the most prosperous, free, best society ever developed in all of history. And what they're saying is, that's not for you, black folks. <laughs> that is yeah. horrible. That is horrible. horrible. Look what at the a next condemnation. Like, what a sentence. It's like a death penalty. You're you're just what a like what a sentence to give someone. You're not allowed to be in this successful society. That's not you. Yeah. Look at the family structure part. They're saying this is whiteness. Uh, the nuclear family, father, mother, 2.3 children is the ideal social unit. The husband is the breadwinner and head of household. Wife is homemaker and subordinate to the husband. Children should have their own rooms and be independent. But, okay. Um, so, by the way, this is a nitpick. Total, I get it. Yeah. It's a total nitpick. You're going to mock me for it. Uh, <laughs> 2.3 children is not the ideal. Like, no one has 2.3 children. 2.3 children. No, so, I'm they're putting that. that in because they're trying to be condescending. It's it's like a it's it's a, like a snarky little you just want two point three children. It's a condescending little it's like a snar little snarky thing. There is no two point three children. Like, yes, that might be an average, but you know, the right way to say this would be mother, father, and a couple of kids or whatever. Like but two to three kids, yeah. Yeah, but they're saying two point three as if it's a way to mock it. 
because 2.3 yeah. is also obviously impossible. So, um, I guess, yeah, I guess if you chop enough limbs off, it's possible, but still, um, look at the next one. This is the postmodernism coming through emphasis on the scientific method. So science is white guys, uh, objectivity, <laughs> object, objective, rational, linear thinking. So not only are they saying all these things are white, they're saying they're bad. They're saying these things are bad. Cause and effect relationships. I mean, that's that's like Aristotle. <laughs> that's like that's like ancient ancient rational think, like the very foundations of rational right. thought. Uh, how come? How do you? How dare you look at cause and effect relationships, Carter, and try to make any sense out of the world? Well, also also the other way around, right? It's like, oh, black people, you can't do these things, like. You 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 can't be expected to understand cause and effect and to think that way or to have linear thinking that's rational. I mean, I, honestly, if you were the worst white supremacist on the planet, like the worst actually uh, scientific racist the, of the old school scientific racism from the, the 19th century, if you were like that kind of a horrible person, I don't think you could come up with a better list of like, well, blacks, imagine this list. Well, well, Carrie. Blacks just are incapable of rational linear thinking, and they don't understand the cause and effect relationship. That's just scientifically proven. <laughs> it's it so racist. It's so insanely racist. Uh, I, I, I don't. I. How do you not see that it's racist? I don't know. I, yeah, Elizabeth just asked, "Are they to go back to the kids part for a second? She's like, "Are they implying that having like say six kids, six kids out of wedlock is the norm?" I was like, "No, they're specifically implying that that's the norm for black people. They're yeah. trying to tell black people this is what's normal for you." It is so racist. It's extremely um, racist. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, then history. Oh, wait, wait was science quantitative emphasis. Right. Again, all of this it's funny because they will um they will attack these things, right? Because they don't, they, th this is the postmodernist influence. They don't want you being able to talk about anything rationally or to use arguments because this ideology withers. Somebody asked like, what is the Achilles heel of this ideology? Reason, intellect, objectivity, <laughs> individualism, because it withers under these things. And so they don't want you to be able to use those tools, but they want to use them. They will use cause and effect. Okay. They will say, and, and they use it incorrectly. They will say um, there's a disproportionate number of black men in prison. That's the effect. The cause must be racism. And they don't use the scientific method to figure out what, what all the different potential causes could be. They're not actually trying to fix the problem. They're just trying to bolster this shoddy ideology. But they well, will, in, they will yeah, incorrectly use cause and effect if it furthers their goals. They will incorrectly – they will pretend to be rational and objective if it furthers their goals. Like it's everything that they are criticizing here, they will try and abuse and use. It's can we – we can either do this before or after, but I want to pause and have a philosophy yeah. moment for a sec. But do you want me to do it now or do you want to finish going through this thing? Let's finish going through this. Okay. Okay. History. Um, they're saying that this is whiteness and this is bad. Based on Northern European immigrants' experience in the United States – Heavy focus on the British Empire, the primacy of Western Greek, Roman, and Judeo-Christian tradition. Um, heavy focus on the British Empire. Why might we talk about the British Empire at all? Mm. Could it be because it 
that's where our country has roots. That's where we were founded. Were we a British colony? We fought a rep- hmm. we, weren't we a British colony? We fought a revolution. Like, <laughs> By the way, even if, even if uh, there was none of the... Uh, none of the taking over native population, like even if it was the like, the literal native population uh, and no Europeans involved in the entire American Revolution, you would still care about the British Empire because you were a colony. <laughs> like, regardless of how you got to be a colony, you were colonized by British, like the British colonized. Like, so even if you, even if you argue that it was an oppressive, horrible colonization, well, it's still relevant because it did actually happen. So we need to know about it <laughs> like it it happened um and it, it's I, and like they don't want you to know anything about history well and this is the yeah the other thing is they want you to feel guilty for history and and this bothers me a lot because again this is using standards that are only available today in a relatively peaceful society in which we have um we have uh abandoned the long-standing universal human uh, uh, belief that might makes right. That was the entire, I mean, almost every society, not every society, but almost every society, including many of the Native American societies and every other one oppressed group that you're going to talk about, all of them lived by might makes right. What the Europeans were was good at it. They happened at that point in history to be really good at building tools and using might. Now, were they wrong that might makes right? Sure. So was everyone else. Rewinding and saying this party because they won is uniquely bad is dishonest because they weren't uniquely bad attacking. It's not like there was this, a peaceful society that was like, well, we believe in the non-aggression principle here, and we have we have ind- we have personal liberties, and we would just like to be a free and independent independent North America. So please, please go away, Englanders. No, it was chaos. There was no property rights. Many of the tribes, there was lots of killing, lots of warring. Might makes right was the rule that they were living by in the same way that the rest of the world had been since the founding of. Sorry, sorry, since the uh, emergence of humans, the rest of the world was living that way. Yes, we evolved beyond it, but you can't rewind and say, oh, this is a uniquely British Empire problem or this is a unique North American or uh, European problem. It's not. It's not. And we study Greek and Roman and, and, and Judeo-Christian traditions because those are the traditions that led to our system of government that we have. That's why... This is where this is where we are. This is the system of government that we have is based on those traditions. That's where they came from. So and, and much of our culture is based on those traditions. So you don't have to apologize for that. You don't have to apologize that there are other people in the world that come from other cultures and don't relate to that. Fine. That's fine. But it, it's it's not it's not racist or it's not whiteness to study your own history. To study the history of your country and the ideas behind it. Sorry, I'll shut up. Let's do Protestant work ethic. <laughs> okay. I just Protestant I talked myself ethic. to death. Hard work is the key to success. Uh, it is the key to now again, there this is a list that they're saying this is exclusively um, white. This is whiteness. This is white people. And it's not. They are they are belittling anyone who's not white. 
who has worked hard and become successful. Um, and they're also poo-pooing it. They're saying, don't work hard. Again, think of the opposite of each of these things, that hard work is the key to success. They're basically saying, it's not, it's not, don't work hard. Well, uh, and also I- for play. <laughs> I'm just gonna, yeah, sorry. Finish reading those and I have a comment on that one generally. <laughs> work before play. Um, and so they're saying play before work. Uh, if you didn't meet your goals, you didn't work hard enough. Okay. So <laughs> clearly these people have never met anyone from China because I look at that and go, that's not a Protestant work ethic. That's my wife. That's the Chinese work ethic. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Actually, when I shared this, there was a guy who said he was like, I'm Indian. And I think a lot of this is actually I would call it Asian, not white. <laughs> Especially yeah. the work ethic part. And I was laughing. I was like, well, that just means you've, according to them, you've just internalized toxic whiteness. Well, but that's a work man. ethic that's separate from, I mean, China didn't internalize crap from us other than, you know, maybe there's a couple Starbucks. But like they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't internalize whiteness. Uh, plenty of cultures have a work ethic. Plenty of cultures have work. Some cultures don't. Uh, it turns out. That a work ethic is, again, a necessary but not sufficient condition for success. Work ethic does correlate to success. And that's true without any government, without any other people around. Drop your sorry ass on a desert island and your work ethic will correlate to your success. If you sit on the beach waiting for the government to drop some goodies, you'll starve. If you go plant some stuff or kill an animal or pick some fruit or whatever you're do some i.e. do some work uh you'll succeed <laughs> like that's that's just but how harder, the, that's how the world is that's just your whiteness speaking i want to live in a world that's not objective doesn't use reason doesn't look at cause and effect has no emphasis on anything we can measure where i don't have to work hard at all and i don't have to have a family unit and i can have a lot of kids out of wedlock and uh where where my individualism isn't recognized and nobody treats me as an individual or on the basis of my character or on my hard work, they treat me as a member, a faceless member of my racial group. Well, you can do that, Carrie. It's called peyote. <laughs> <laughs> you can live wherever you want. You just, it's called hallucinogens and uh, go for it. I'm, you know, I think drugs should be legal. If that's the world you want, you can create a reality however you would like. Uh, but as for me, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna stay here. Um, I I want to make a quick, uh, can I can I make a yeah, quick philosophic point about a yeah. lot of this stuff, especially the um, they call it the scientific method, which is interesting because cause and effect relationships is not science. It I mean it's related to science, but it's basic reasoning and logic, like rational, objective, linear thinking. That's not just science. Like this actually is a it's the way this is written is they've given away the fact that they are irrational beings because they don't, and they don't understand science at all. And they don't understand actually uh, the philosophic foundations of reason and, and why reason is important because they don't even, they think this stuff is related to science. Uh, no, that stuff is related to thinking in generally, and you should be doing more of it postmodernists, uh, but <laughs> they're not. So um, this is, and this is a tool. I just want to throw this out because this is an easy tool. When we talk about self-imploding philosophies, this is an easy tool that works for anyone who makes an argument uh, against uh, 
objectivity, against the existence of objective reality or against the uh, existence of reason or cause and effect or all that kind of stuff, right? Cause and effect is, is just a corollary to uh, the law of identity, which is A is A, it's Aristotle's law, right? Just a thing is what it is, right? So it's very, very basic. It's a, it's a fundamental thing. Anyone who's making uh, cases like that, um, I'm gonna relay a story that I, I heard originally from Leonard Peikoff. Uh, I think he attributed this to Socrates, but I don't remember ever reading this in Socrates, but I haven't read everything. So uh, may, may, I haven't read all of Plato, so may, maybe there's something that I, I've, I missed or I just forgot. <clears throat> but I'm gonna, this is my interpretation, my remembrance of this, my, my memory of this story. Uh, so let's say, let's say it was Aristotle. Aristotle says A is A. A thing is what it is. Things have meaning, um, and words, you know, things mean what they mean. And uh, the guy arguing says, no, there's no objective reality. Things don't mean what they mean. A is not A. That's not always true. There's, there's no objective reality. And he says, oh, thank you for agreeing with me. And the guy says, no, I'm saying things are not objective. I don't agree with you. I, I disagree. I'm not saying I agree. I'm saying I disagree with you. Things aren't what they are. Like A is not A. Things could be anything. We have no idea, blah, blah, blah. And Aristotle says, oh, thank you again for agreeing with me. I really, I really appreciate it. And the guy gets even angrier and he's like, no, don't you understand Aristotle? I'm saying I don't agree. I don't agree. I don't agree. Words have a meaning, Aristotle. After all, when I say I don't agree, I mean I don't agree. Things are what they are. Right? He has to accept the argument. He can't argue with, you can't argue against objective reality because any words you use, any attempts to communicate with anyone rests upon the premise that communication is possible. And communication is only possible if you can label a referent in objective reality and, and you're communicating something about reality to me. If we all live in our own complete realities, no communication is actually possible. If words have no meaning, right? If reality has no meaning, if there is no objective reality, words have no meaning between us. You can't make the argument without relying on the argument being false. You can't make your argument. So the entire thing is false the moment they try and speak it. If they really believe that, they need to sit in the corner and shrivel up and die. There is no alternative for them. They can't, they can't try and argue it because arguing it, arguing it presupposes that they're wrong. And it's something that is, it's a very easy thing to see once you see it. And it happens all the time. And like the obvious example is a really obvious statement. Like there's no such thing, like words have no real objective meaning. Okay. Thanks for agreeing with me that they have objective meaning then. Like, end of story. It, it, the, the argument's over. Um, all right. That was all my... So, my on the other point. side of this chart, aesthetics. Oh, there's more? Oh, yeah. You oh, just God. showed the left half of it. <laughs> oh, and my God. By the God. way, people have, people have pointed out, this is put out by the Smithsonian Institute. We fund Wait. this. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, not voluntarily. Um, yeah. Carrie, really quickly, is this, um, it's not the oppression matrix that you sent me, it's a different thing? It's the first, it's the one you were already looking at, you just focused on the left side of it. Oh. It's just one image with Gadsat at the top. Oh, I didn't go to Gadsat, I went and got, it was, the image resolution oh. wasn't good, so I went and got it from Byron York, who originally posted it. Oh, okay. Um, well, there's so. a second part of it. Okay. Where they attack aesthetics, 
based, they say whiteness is um, aesthetics, based on European culture, steak and potatoes, bland is best. Now, by the way, I do know a lot of white people who like bland food, but they are ignoring, they are ignoring Southern white people who like a lot of spicy food. Anyway, <laughs> that's just my aside. <laughs> um, woman's beauty based on blonde. And, and in America, let me go back, let me go back to that point when, one quick second about food. Yeah. In America, this is a, this is a country with a plethora of food options. Just like you were saying earlier, it's a country where you can choose your religion. You can also choose what you want to eat and you can choose what culture and what music and you can choose. You have so like a diversity of options and to pretend like this is, this is, if you, you know, whiteness in America is all about steak and potatoes. It's just. Also, that's not even true. Like, I don't know any white person who said, and I'm, you know, I grew up in a predominantly white area and like lots of white people around me. Uh. I've never met a white person who thinks bland is superior. In fact, uh, the reverse is true. They might, if they like bland food, often they're like, oh, you get, like other people will mock them. Or you get a weak stomach or whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> bland food isn't like, there's no moral superiority in bland, bland food. That's just made up. That's just not a thing. Yeah. Um, women's beauty based on being blonde and thin, Barbie. Man's attractiveness based on economic status, power, and intellect. Uh, holidays <laughs> wait, based wait. on Christmas. What was man's status? Economic man's status. status. Economic status, power, and intellect. Well, you know, you know who you can blame for that? You know who decides the attractive list of males? Women. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> it's not uh, our fault. Okay, ho- <laughs> holidays based on Christian religions, based on white history and male leaders. Uh, that's just not true anymore. Like I, I admit, I, I agree. I agree with this per this this pamphlet that it used to be based on primarily the holidays. If they were built around a leader, were built around white leaders, and that most of the leaders of the country used to be white. But that's just not true anymore. We have a lot of holidays who sell that we that we've rightfully added. You know, MLK's holiday just being one of those. Like, it's not a. I just don't. I just don't think that's true. Well, also, uh, it's not a sin. Like, if you're in a predominantly white country who has had historically predominantly white leaders, then it's not a sin to celebrate leaders who happen to be white. You're not celebrating because they were white. You're celebrating because they were leaders. Um, so yeah, like you know, no one's like, oh, we should celebrate George Washington because he was white. <laughs> No, that's right. not why anyone cares about George Washington. Uh, competition, B number one, win at all costs, a winner-loser dichotomy, action orientation, and a master and control nature. Communication. Wait, wait, wait. The king, a master okay. and control nature? A master and control nature. So uh, actually – Competition. Yeah, can I can I point something out here? This yeah. is something that uh, I'm more and more believing. I obviously I st- I still believe philosophy is is upstream of culture and and then politics sort of downstream from that. Like, however, uh, I'm starting to believe that our basic problem is actually psychology. <laughs> uh, that there are psychologies that reject that will automatically reject uh, good philosophy. Um, and 
there's a psychology that believes, and this is the psychology of the left. Um, there is a psychology that believes that people are to be dominated or to dominate. Those are the two choices in life, that men should be dominated or men should dominate. And some of those people want to be the dominating people. And some of those people want to be dominated. In fact, I would say a majority of people want to be dominated. They want to be told what to do. Those psychologies are, again, as you used this phrase before, they're two sides of the same coin, and they are, there's no place for that psychology in a free society. In a free society, a free society psychologically requires people that do not want to be dominated and do not want to dominate. The idea of a win-win transaction between people. I only want to deal with you if I get something out of it, and you also mutually benefit. That's the idea of free voluntary interaction. And that idea is not even on their radar. So when they word stuff like this, it's always about, well, there's a master and everything's master slave. It's power and control. It's all that. That's the mentality of everything. And so even a relationship that's mutual, where there's mutual benefit, they necess they, they have a necessity to identify which one is the dominating one and which one is the submissive one in everything. And the, set, the, the truth is, in a moral society, neither one is dominating nor submissive. They are both getting something out of it, and it's an equal, it's a relationship that uh, is mutually beneficial. <sighs> so um, I think it's Cecil pointed something out. They put on here that it's a part of whiteness to win at all costs, but he's pointing out that that's what they that's what they push, the by any means necessary. Well, that's what I mean. The win at all yeah. costs thing is yeah. like a, that. That's that implies that when you win, someone else loses, right? And that's not how most things work. Um, right, but that's how they work. It's funny because they're right. criticizing it and they're calling it whiteness, but that's actually this is another example of something they actually use. They have a group called BAMN, by any means necessary. They right. believe that the means, ju the ends justify the means. This right. is why they, they support censorship and violence. Well, and, because and they again, want this, they want to win, they want power, yep. they want this ideology to be dominant no matter the cost. Right, and, and again, uh, we talked about uh, repressive tolerance I think maybe yesterday, but we just mentioned it on the show again today. I mean, Marcusa, for, for example, is very clear about this. He very clearly says, by any means necessary. Uh, like, the, the goal is, is a neo-Marxism and by any means necessary. Like, there's no, this isn't a conspiracy theory. Carrie's not making crap up about, like, oh, they just want this. Like, they say it. It is say it. written down. <laughs> this isn't, she's not it. assuming what, she's not, like, she's not psychologizing them. This isn't Carrie going, this is all they want. They say that. And you they know what's it. great, what's what's good in a way, even though this is awful, but it's good, it's, is that they've gotten a lot more honest now. They feel braver now about being honest. In the past couple months, in the past year, and especially the past couple months since it's gone mainstream, they now openly admit that they are Marxists. They used to deny that. They openly admit now that, yep. they, they, that they, they view individualism as their enemy they are attacking individualism. They say this now. Yeah. They're open about it. They openly say, yes, we do believe that we should treat people differently on the basis of race and sex and sexuality. We believe that. 
They openly say that now. Right. And and I'm kind of glad they do because uh, it's easier to show people how evil they are when they're not, you know, it's easier to show you a wolf when it's not wearing sheep's clothing. So they're being yeah. a wolf more clearly. They're showing you who they are. <laughs> um, okay, so last point, and then I want to move on to one other quick slide. Yep. So communication, they say this is whiteness, this is communication. The King's English rules, this is like like them attacking science, they're attacking grammar. The King's uh, English? Written, Written tradition. They don't like writing. They don't like that we written, shouldn't be written writing. Tradition. Written tradition. Um, avoid conflict and intimacy. Don't show emotion. Don't discuss personal life. And be polite. They always attack civility. That's what they're doing at the end there is they're attacking civility. Right, right. Um, um, because that's one of the ways they push this idea that they get that it's okay Social justice ideology, social justice warriors believe it's okay for them to be for, to be violent, and one of the ways they push that is they say, "Well, civility and politeness is a, it's a thing of whiteness," you know. It's, right. Right. And, and um, you know, if you actually take what they're saying at face value, uh, you would only want to be in a white society. I mean, it, it makes it makes non-white societies look pretty bad. They can't be civil, apparently. They can't think for themselves. They, they don't have, there's like no individualism. Like there's, uh, what was the, what were some of the other ones? There's like, there, there's no, yeah. um, no stable families. There's no science. There's no cause and effect. Like it, it's, uh, it's a, I, this is the this is it's the same as the racism from the late 1900s. The same as yeah. the genetic racism or the scientific racism. It's the same thing. It's the same. So somebody mentioned that they took this specific specific flyer down off their website after they got hammered online. Mm -hmm. But their their web they took one flyer down. The website is still the same. They still have oodles and oodles of content. This, this is a Smithsonian Smithsonian Museum. They still have oodles of content pushing social justice ideology. So I sent you another one called The Oppression yeah, Matrix. And this one is – now, I like this one because this is what we've been telling you from the beginning. And again, I like when they're honest. They say that their ideology is that the best way to look at the world is as a struggle for competition between identity groups. That's the way you should look at the world. And that the whole world, everyone can be judged accordingly, put into these identity groups and judged. And they assign them all a value of marginalized or oppressed. They use those words interchangeably. Or privileged or oppressor. They use those two words interchangeably. And so they, they do this with race. They do this with sex. They do this with trans. They do this with sexuality. But there's an ever-increasing number of these identity groups because they want to be – it is a greater social currency to be in the oppressed group. So there are more of these coming out. So this chart – they have this on the on the website, on the museum website. This is the Smithsonian have, website chart that you're paying for with your tax dollars. That you're paying for. So they lay it out for you in a neat little chart what it is that we've been saying. So here's one of here's one of their categories of identity, race, okay? The privileged group, also called the oppressors. Look here on this chart how they have privileged and oppressed. They're already using the words interchangeably. It's like usually when they use privileged, they're going to use marginalized for the opposite. This and, and if they use oppressor, they're going to use oppressed, but here they're using one from each they're using privileged and oppressed. It just shows you they use those interchangeably. So privileged social group, white people, 
oppressed social group, Asian people, black people, Latino people, native people, border social group. This is interesting. They've, they've created a category for people who are on the border between privilege and oppression, biracial people. <laughs> right. That's to okay. avoid, that's to avoid the criticisms that people have. Well, I'm, I'm this, what about blah, blah, blah. They can say, oh, well, you know, you're border. So that border means you're whatever I want you to be so that I can win the argument. <laughs> yes. Okay. Then they have sex. Okay. Here's their social identity category, sex, the type of oppression, sexism. Okay. Who's the privileged group? Biological men. Who's the oppressed group? Biological women. Who's in the border group? Transsexual and intersexual people. Um, then they, it goes on down. We don't have to read all of these, but they get into, they have trans, they have gender. Who's the privileged group? Gender conforming. I'm surprised they didn't just use the word the, that they've made up where they call us cis, cis You know what's interesting to me here, Carrie, I'm just looking at this for the first time. They still, um, they, they're, I, I imagine that their sex row uh, is problematic to use their language because they are they are saying that there is biological men, biological women, and some intersex, which is a uh, actual biological thing, right? Uh, as an outlier, yeah. and they are distinguishing it from gender, which I know used to be the thing to do, but it seems like now that's no yeah. longer the right way to categorize. They could get themselves in trouble from the woke left on this. Yeah, they haven't caught up with the times yet. They are going to be lambasted for this from the woke divist because they now say biological sex itself is a social construct. But right. but again, because none of this stuff makes sense and it contradicts itself all the time, you will see they're still holding on to that biological sex category there. Then they have trans oppression. Um, they have heterosexism. Who's the privileged group? Heterosexuals. Who's the oppressed group? Lesbians and gay men. Who's in the border group? Bisexuals. This, by the way, um, I don't even think that's true, but that's a separate yeah, issue. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised they don't have all the other sexualities on here yet. There's like an endless number now, right? Demisexual. Oh, right, yeah. 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 Okay. Classism. You know, who's the privileged? That's Rich upper class people. Who's yeah. yeah. That's just the Marxist part of it. Oppressed group. The working class. Who's in the middle? Middle class. I'm surprised they put middle class people in the middle. Um, okay. By the way. Ableism. Uh, I just, I'm going to, every time I see this, I need to push back. I hate the phrase working class. It's a horrible phrase. It's a Marxist phrase. Don't ever use the phrase working class. Bosses work. Founders work. Just because you don't have grease on your hands doesn't mean you're not a worker. It's it, the working class is designed to pit people who use their hands against people who use their brains. And it's, it's a predominantly for their, for their work. And it's a, uh, it's a Marxist idea. Ableism. Who's the privileged group? Able-bodied people. Who's the oppressed group? Disabled people. I'm, who's the border group? People with temporary disabilities. Okay, religious <laughs> oppression. Here we go. Here we go. This is one of the ones I've told you about. Pro okay, who's the privileged group? I'm surprised they didn't just put Christians. They put Protestants. Why is Roman but Catholic they, in the border? Roman Catholic? I do not know why they put that on the border. Is it because the Pope is woke now? They put historically they've been oppressed, but they're not oppressed now. That's what they they, they put little parentheses there. Historically oppressed. Okay, a privilege. Who's the who's the oppressed group on the religion matrix? Uh, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, and Sikhs. I'm shocked that they still have Jewish people under the oppressed group because, as we've seen, the woke are recently in the past week, especially 
expressing a lot of anti-Semitism and going after Jewish people. So I'm really surprised they put them there. I would have, if I were to draw this chart, I would have put the Jewish group there in the border group because they've clearly defined Jewish people as a target recently. Yeah, but that maybe that's yeah, maybe just like the sexism thing though. Maybe that's a recent development. Um, so they're, yeah, okay. And then the last. Um, and one? then they have now. Now again, I think this. If I were to guess, this was made by an older person who learned the social justice stuff when I did, because they put. They, because they because they got some of these categories a little wrong from what the social justice people are saying now, and because they put ageism on here, they don't really the young the 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 social justice isn't really focused on ageism anymore. But yes, that used to be one of the categories they would talk about, where adults are privileged and young people are the oppressed. Um, what they left off are some of the newer like uh, uh, size. They would have size on here. Who's fat. the privileged group? Yeah. Thin people. Who's the oppressed group? Fat people. They would have size. Um, there are other categories that they've that are developing, like the uh, whether or not you have a mental illness. Who's the privileged group? People without mental health problems. Who's the oppressed group? People with mental health problems. You know right. that they, they they didn't include those yet. So I would just assume this is probably someone my age or older who made this, who is not up to date on what all the new evolving categories are. What a fun game. <laughs> that's, that's probably a fair assumption. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'll take that. I'll take this. Off so this that's way. on their page. And then uh, I sent you a link to the site and we don't have to read the whole thing, but just again, so that you know what your tax dollars are paying for. I mean, this is on a Smithsonian museum's website, social identities and systems of oppression. And it's just a flat out, that person who gave us a super chat earlier and said that their friend writes this all off as conspiracy theory. What do they say about all this stuff? Does this not read as straight out and straight up indoctrination? This is an ideology. It is a belief system. Somebody's here, hold on. Carter, somebody's at my door. I'll be right back. That's all right. I'm 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 going to use this time to do a couple super chats because we've been going for a while and I'm going to not get caught up on super chats if we don't. So I think the next one on my list here is Stephen Landau. Um, Stephen, thank you for Stephen says twenty five uh, sends twenty five bucks and thank you, Stephen. He says three twenty somethings in my circle are using the words. They seem to all be very sad. Is depression a part of the SJW ideology? You may have spoken about this, but thought you might revisit. That That's actually good to talk to Carrie about when she returns, but um, yeah, we've talked about the psychological roots of believing in social justice, and, you know, Carrie uses the analogy that it fills a whole where religion should be, right? Where meaning, I, I would say it fills a hole where meaning should be. But um, so I would say there's probably two reasons for this. W one is it in an, in a world of nihilism where you're not given any uh, meaning in life and, and, and meaning has been destroyed and there's no focus on meaning, this does give you meaning and gives you kind of a, 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 a something to strive for that's moral. And the other reason that I would say is... Uh, the social justice ideology um, encourages and rewards, uh, as Carrie just mentioned, mental uh, dysfunction, which includes, uh, you know, it, do it doesn't just mean actual diagnosed things like 
uh, schizophrenia or whatever, it can also mean just depression and being sad. And so, um, and so because it encourages those things, because it, it is trying to provide, it does kind of provide some sort of belief system. Uh, and uh, it, it doesn't encourage inward focus at all. So, you know, if you have trauma or if like everyone has psychological issues that um, almost everyone has psychological issues that it would be good to work through and do uh, some introspection or therapy or something um, because this ideology excuses you from the obligation to do any inward looking work you can and it focuses everything on fixing everyone else you can stay in that state so if you're sad or if you're depressed it gives you an excuse to remain sad and depressed and blame everyone else and you can continue to re-traumatize yourself and stay in that state uh, rather than better yourself and actually become happy. It's probably one of the reasons they hate when people are happy. They especially hate when people who are in the oppressor group express any kind of happiness. Um, oh, Carrie's back. Carrie, yeah, I'm back. there was a question about the psychological uh, component of social justice, and it would be better for, for yeah. you, I think, but I, I answered it as best I could. Well, I saw Beverly asked too in chat just now about shit saying something about how most of her social justice friends are depressed. And I know you asked about this earlier and I, I didn't, I didn't really talk about it a lot, but yes, they're on I, just anecdotally lived experience, right? That's what they say, lived experience. Most of the people I know who are deep into this belief system are depressed. They have anxiety. They're on multiple medications. Um, they're always posting in between posts of outrage um, and trying to pile on people. They're they're they intermittently post about, you know, what medications are you taking? How are you dealing with this soul crushing depression? You know, trying to, <clears throat> trying to get advice from others, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, they do seem to hate like that example I gave of my friend's daughter who got attacked for posting a feel good photo. You know, right. th she got attacked for showing joy just like um, the knitting debacle. Like it started, it yeah. started with joy about visiting India. So, yeah, they yeah. are miserable. They are depressed. And and the ideology incentivizes depression and mental illness. So people stay in it because they have an incentive to stay in it. It tells you your mental health problems make you an oppressed person, which wah, now you have power in the belief system. Right. Now you get to have more of a voice. Now you and, get to and be it, one and of the marginalized. And your only tools for, for recovering, which are which is introspection. Yeah. Right. So. If you never look at yeah. yourself, you'll never be able to recover. So if you if you have a little depression, you can never escape if you don't do some self-examination. And this ideology basically prohibits self-examination. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so I know you're going to do some more super chats, mm -hmm. but just on this idea of like what we're paying for, mm -hmm. for, like for this ideology to be spread, we're paying tax dollars for it to be spread in public schools. We're paying. With our tax dollars, we're paying for it to be spread by museums, and we're paying for it to for these trainings. It's indoctrination to happen in the government now. Um, there's this thread I I read uh, for the like maybe two days ago. Christopher Rufo um, tweeted about this, and he says critical race theory is spreading rapidly through the federal government. Last week, a whistleblower sent me a trove of documents about a divisive quote, diversity training, end quote, at the Treasury Department. Yep. What I discovered is deeply disturbing and an affront to equality. Buckle up. The training is called, dun-dun-dun, guess, 
It's called Difficult Conversations About Race. Uh, we're all familiar with that phrase now, right? Yep. Um, and calls on white employees at the Treasury, Federal Reserve, FDIC, CFPB, and the NCUA to pledge, quote, allyship amid the George Floyd tragedy, end quote. The goal is explicit to convert, quote, everyone in the federal government to anti-racism, end quote. Anti-racism, remember, is their word for racism. They say, if ask them what anti-racism means, and at the root of it, you will get to it means treating people differently on the basis of race. That's what they call their racism. Right. Um, and so he's got like the curriculum that they're pushing in these indoctrination seminars in the federal government. Um, he says, to begin, the trainers set the ground rules. They claim that, quote, virtually all white people contribute to racism. I don't know how this there hasn't been a lawsuit yet. This how is racist. They say to teach virtually. This. I think it, all white people. Right. Isn't that the. That's what they usually say, all Uh white people. But how have they not been sued yet? Uh, They insist that white employees must, quote, struggle to own their racism, end quote, and accept their, quote, unconscious bias, white privilege, and white fragility, end quote. They're speaking all the cult words. They've read all the cult books. Um, And then, and he includes all of this documents of what they're teaching, Next, the trainers recommend that white managers create safe spaces for listening sessions. Sounds like a struggle session mm-hmm. where black employees can explain what it means to be black and to be, quote, seen in their pain, end quote. The trainers insist that whites hold fairly consistent narratives about race that don't support the dismantling of racist institutions. They claim the expression Uh, We should be here. This is from the James Lindsay thing yesterday. They claim the expression we should be more colorblind and we've made so much progress in the 60s are, in fact, racist statements. Right. It's racist to say we shouldn't treat people differently on the basis of race. Um, That's that's what they're telling you. Employees are then asked to think obsessively about race throughout their daily lives. What's the racial mix of your 10 closest friends? What percentage of the day are you able to be with people of your own race? How much of your day are you speaking about racism? Uh, the trainers tell white employees they must, quote, provide unconditional solidarity, end quote, for people of color. Whites, quote, don't get to de- decide when someone is being too emotional, too rash, or too mean. You know what? Fuck you. I, I can decide who's being too emotional, too rash, or too mean to me. I, I am so tired of this racist thing where they say, you don't get to decide X, Y, Z. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's, I do. That's how reality works. I can decide. You don't have to agree with me, but I can decide. You don't rob me of my voice and my opinions and my intellect because of my race. Um, right. What if a white employee disagrees? I'm almost done here, Carter. They will be told that, quote, white silence, we thought we were about to say, is violence, Right. White silence has been one of the most powerful detractors from real progress in social justice and that whites must sit in their discomfort. We've heard that before. <laughs> that's on the bingo of their card. Own, that's on a bingo card of their own internalized racism and white supremacy. So you are evil because of your race. Um, during the training session, white employees are warned that this is not the place to get their feelings validated. So any amount of mo- emotion is fine as long as the person's not white. But if you have feelings and emotion, that's just your white fragility. 
Um, the trainers tell them that people of color are not obligated to like you, thank you, feel sorry for you, or love you, forgive you. No, they're not. And I'm not obligated to like you or to thank you or to feel like this is a good thing that I need to sit through as an employee. So here's the part I wanted to get to. Uh, this is all building up to, so who's teaching this course? This man, Howard Ross, who has built the federal government $5 million, $5 million taxpayer dollars I'll do it for, for diversity trainings. You'll do it for two and a half. <laughs> $5 million for diversity trainings over the past 15 years on topics including oh, white no, supremacy, white privilege, and white fragility. Guess what? He's a white guy, and guess what he's got in his bio? This is the first sign to me, somebody pointed this out recently, it's true, that they're in the cult, is he has his pronouns in his bio. Of course. That's like, yeah. that's like a Christian wearing a cross. You put the pronouns in your bio. You're like, this is my faith. I'm right. in this religion. Yep. Um, so five million dollars in 2011 alone. Howard but Ross over 15 years. General, I just I like right over 15 years. But get get this in 2011 alone. Howard Ross billed the General Services Administration three million dollars. That's in one year for diversity training, and he billed NASA five hundred thousand dollars for power and privilege sexual orientation workshops. He's a this guy says, and I agree. He is a taxpayer-funded charlatan. He has packaged racialist pseudoscience and used his privilege to secure massive federal diversity and inclusion contracts. And he goes, sadly, the diversity hustle hasn't stopped with the Trump administration. Ross has done many federally funded trainings since 2016, teaching the latest academic theories on quote white supremacy and encouraging federal workers to attend the annual white privilege conference. Can we get tickets? to the white privilege conference uh i i doesn't my white privilege card get me admission automatically i don't know um, my white privilege card that's hilarious carter <laughs> sure you just show up and you're like here's my ticket i got privilege let me in <laughs> um well thank you for for allowing me to read that i just I couldn't believe the amount of money. And I know we know we've talked about before how this is a big hustle and a lot of people are making money off of this belief system, but that was one of the most egregious I've seen yet. So Yeah. Uh I look, I this is I mean, this is one example, but it's everywhere. We've seen it everywhere. It's it's been everywhere for uh at least out in the open for a few months at least everywhere. Um, and if it's not where you are, it's going to come. I mean, we've talked about, we've seen it the same stuff in schools. We've seen the same stuff in uh, police departments and in local governments. And so it's been every, the military has been <laughs> doing this stuff. Um, I, there's something that I want to, I want to say that I was thinking about while you were talking about this. I am very appreciative <laughs> that there, that people are, I'm actually very appreciative that the, that, this ideology, the mask has slipped and they are being as blatant as they are. And I'm very appreciative for the people who are looking at this and saying, oh my God, this is not, this is not right. You're 100% correct. It's not right. And we should be fighting it. I encourage you to not be surface level in your analysis of this because this is not something that arose this year or last year, or five years ago. The way to, this is, if it's a weed in your garden, if you, you have a garden and you ignore it for four decades and you step outside one day and there's some weeds 
And those weeds are tall, taller than whatever plants happen to survive during that entire time. You don't just chop the top of the weeds off and go, oh good, okay, I can see my flowers again, all done, and go back inside. You need to find the roots, you need to rip the weed out of the garden by its roots. And if you think the root is just, oh, this is just like, there's a, there's a trend of racism, you're missing the philosophical underpinnings of this. The, the, the reason these weeds have gotten into our garden as a culture is because we do not, we are not vigilant about protecting the philosophical foundations of what makes this culture, this nation, great. We don't talk about individualism. We don't talk about rights. We don't actually understand rights. We've corrupted the concept of rights. We don't talk about, um, we don't talk about even, even objective reality. We're taught things that are like someone the other day. I saw this in chat and it was probably someone that I agree with on a lot of things. And it was a friendly com comment. They were like, oh, Carter, I love you, but you're an idealist because I believed in, I don't know, probably because I was an anarchist or whatever, anarcho-capitalist, which is fine. I, I get it. I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people who, who think that's uh, not workable also. Um, but the idea that an idealist is, is derogatory, that's an insidious philosophical idea. That, that is the idea that standing on principle is somehow impractical. That's weird because it was standing on principle that gave America the power it had and actually gave America the power to uh, the, the moral authority by which slavery was eradicated. The only reason that the abolitionists were able to win from a moral perspective is they had the moral authority of the principles that were in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Those principles were there, and it was by that moral authority that they could affect change, positive change. So if we don't, if we don't teach our kids and if we are not vigilant about protecting the philosophical foundations of, of this country and why it is good, why is individualism good, why is collectivism bad, why, why is reason preferable? Like, wh why can't you just say, I feel X, and therefore we should have a government program, or you should, be, you should behave this way because I'm offended. Those roots, they've been in our culture for decades and decades and decades. We had, we had probably some people in chat's favorite president, FDR, uh, <laughs> turn the idea of rights, and not just him, but turn the, right, the idea of rights completely on its head. You've got a right to healthcare. You've got a right to someone else's thing. You've got a right to this insurance. You've got a right to that. That's not how rights work. That's a corruption of the concept of rights. And we have been completely sloppy and I will say completely negligent in protecting the philosophical foundations of this country, enlightenment, the enlightenment values, understanding what individualism means, understanding what individual rights are, understanding why liberty matters, like all of that has been completely lost. And when that is lost, some form of an evil mind virus will eventually take hold. And the particular evil mind virus that we have now, as, as we talked about yesterday, you know, maybe it started with some, some really bad philosophy early on, vectored through Marx, ended up in the Frankfurt School, came out as neo-Marxism, slapped some, you know, slapped some postmodernism on it <laughs> later, and voila, here we are with this, you know, this massive social justice ideology, which is obviously bad. But don't think that you can just, you know, wipe out this top level of social justice ideology and the problem is solved and you can go home back to a free America. You can't. 
this th th it has metastasized to the point where like this is like stage four. We've got to yeah. we've got to root this out at the we've got to we got we have to do chemo. We have to root this out from the philosophical foundations. And the best way to do that is not to actually go after the foundations of different bad ideas, but to understand what the foundations of the good ideas are and why they are so that when something comes along that's contradictory to them, you can dismiss it and say, I don't need to listen to your postmodernist garbage. I don't need to listen to your critical theory crap. I don't need to listen to your, your stuff that's based on the idea of false consciousness that, you know, your station in life somehow manifest, like your, your, your intellect is manifested only by the social construction of your station in life. Like, I don't need, I don't need to listen to all that. I don't need to because it's clearly anti-individualism. It's clearly anti the foundations of this country. It's anti-enlightenment. It's collectivist at its nature. And to understand what that means, that's what you need to do. And you need to have generations of people and a culture that will support that. Otherwise, this is a futile, futile task. We're going to weed the garden and it's going to come back in five or 10 years in some other form. Yeah. All right. I want to talk with you at some point about your idealism, but not on this no, we'll we don't have to. I, I can talk about it later, about. but but the the and I didn't actually want to because talk about. I've had thoughts about your idealism that you yeah, just no, that's reminded fine. We, me of. We can talk about it, and and again, not on today's show. My only point about idealism on today's show is it's it's not idealism isn't what makes an idea bad. Marxism isn't bad because it's idealistic, right? right. It's bad because the ideas upon which it's based are shit. That's why it's bad. They're wrong. It, they're false. America was idealistic. The idea of America was idealistic. There was like it was based on ideas. They are mostly good. I I think there's a little bit of contradictions even from the beginning, uh, including but not limited to slavery. Um, but it idealism isn't bad as such. It's bad when it's it's bad ideas. That's what makes it bad. Good ideas correspond to reality and are also practical. And we can disagree about whether my particular interpretation of that is the right idealism. But to say idealism is what makes it bad is uh, that's an argument that you shouldn't accept. That's that's not an acceptable argument. That means that you believe that practicality and ideal ideas don't go together. That theory and practice are two separate things. And that just means your theory is bad. Scientists don't say, well, the physics works on paper, but not in practice. So we're going to like keep the theory and just adopt this idea that things work on paper and not in practice. Like, no, if it doesn't work in practice, you trash the theory because the theory needs to correspond to reality. But in, in non-science, we've accepted this idea that there can be theory that's somehow valid and needs to be considered that completely falls apart in practice without any revamping of the theory. Um, and that's a false uh, assumption. Like that's, that's just not true. You're going down a path that is only destructive and they're gonna use it against you. And they do. They get you to compromise. When you have a good idea, when you have some good philosophic principle, they, they whip that crap out. Well, you know, that's nice in theory, but you really need to compromise with the, uh, the racism we want to implement in your school because, you know, you got to compromise a little bit, right? You need a little bit of, of our bad idea, don't you? And you have no argument at that point because you're like, well, ideals don't matter. And, and you know, I guess I'm not going to be principled about anything. We got to be practical. Uh, that that dichotomy between the philosophical and practical is intentional, and it is it disarms you. So it's fine to criticize someone's ideas like mine, but uh, I would say find a better way than to call them idealistic, because that's not the right way to do it. And I'm not picking on the person who said that. A lot of people say that, and that's fine. We're, we can be buddies. Uh, all right.
Long card or rant over? Um, we have to wrap this up because I have an interview in a few hours. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> this is what it's like, guys. <laughs> I'm kidding. I liked it. So We have uh, some super chats we could do, Carrie. We do. Let's do the super chats. And while you're pulling them up and getting them ready, I just wanted to say... There's so many things lately. When we were doing the daily show, we Carter and I thought, you know what? We should focus on quality rather than quantity, and let's just start doing these twice a week and do them live. And now I'm almost at the point where I'm like, there's just too much to talk about. I don't like. I barely get through my list, you know. And and the kind of things we used to spend a whole episode on. There's so many of those now. It's like, where right. do you look? It's just permeated everything. There's. Yeah. I mean, just this morning I saw Teen Vogue, which Teen Vogue is the worst of the worst anybody who reads that's i know social justice warriors who are like always praising it i'm like gosh how better to signal your um your adherence to this cult and also your lack of intelligence honestly than to say teen vogue is amazing um teen vogue just published an article about how sleep is racist Uh, you know did you say sleep sleep systemically racist and and this this gets to that point we made in an earlier show where you can play a fun game where you can do a internet search for put any word like sleep or math i love that one can you can you, can you i'm really curious about the argument what, why is sleep racist <laughs> well they point to again this, speaking of that chart earlier where they say don't look at cause and effect well they use it when they want to make try and make an argument even if it's a faulty argument they point to statistics that say that uh, black people on average have higher, higher cortisol levels and get less sleep than white people. And the thing is, lucky them. like they do, like they, they have do more hours in the day. <laughs> wow. No, I don't want higher cortisol levels. I don't think that's lucky. I need more sleep. And I, oh, because you think the stress of the, I don't know. No, they're, I think they're right that that is a problem. The problem with their analysis is like with everything they don't actually look to try and pull in the multivariate causes of why that might be. They'll look at a statistic like black people on average get less sleep than white people on average. And then they'll say must be racism. Right. Like there's no, there's, there's oh, no so it's real not sleep analysis. That's racist. It's the disparity in sleep hours. That's racist. Right. Although I yeah, see. they just use sleep as racist for the headline. I think to get, I see, to I on. see. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, look, uh, you know, I don't want a lot of extra cortisol in my body either, but maybe it's that Protestant work ethic going, you can get away with sleeping less. That's cool. Uh, but I guess that's not that's not where they're going with that. They, It's a bad thing. Okay. Do you really want to sleep less, Carter? Absolutely. If I could sleep one hour a night, I would what? totally sleep one hour. Why not? What is wrong with you? Because life is awesome, <laughs> and you're only part of it when you're awake. <laughs> like, why would you want true? to sleep? Sleep is life. Also, like, Ugh. sleeping is just as great as being awake and it makes you more like you know you're able to take on the day better when you get a good night's sleep oh i agree that's why i try and get a good night's sleep because i because the life then sucks if i'm not getting good night's sleep so i can't sleep one hour a night or else i wouldn't enjoy my life but like if i could if i could get the same if i could compress my sleep into one hour and and have the same effects like totally totally i would i would get you know extra hours in the day why wouldn't i do that who wants to be unconscious because, for most of their life? Or not most, but a lot of percentage. Because you're not fully unconscious. Your brain is, your subconscious is figuring things out when you sleep. Your brain is going through like all these different uh, scenarios. I, I, know. And I, I understand you what's happening out. when you're sleeping. I get right. it. But like, 
I, I still would want, like, if I could recover in an hour instead of taking eight hours to recover or seven hours or whatever, I would okay. recover in an hour. Like, okay. who doesn't want to be awake more? I don't, I don't know. I just, like, I, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, okay. I, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I enjoy, I enjoy sleeping, <laughs> but uh, if I could get the same thing out of not sleeping, I would totally, like if there was a magic drug I could take that was like, inject the drug, your, your subconscious will get all caught up with everything and you, your metabolism will get caught up and you can just keep going forever on uh, it. There's no bad effects. You'll never have to sleep. I would get rid of my bed. <laughs> I'll be yeah. like, woohoo, this is great. Uh, mm. But... Yeah. I guess it's a personality difference, I guess. All right, let's do some super chats. GL Scott, thank you, GL Scott. He he gave us uh nine nine nine. He says, Do you think current events and or the current pol- political climate reflect our being primed for the installation of totalitarianism? And also Netflix is seventeen bucks and it still sucks. Thank you for comparing us to Netflix. I didn't know how much it was, so I appreciate that, GL Scott. Um reflect our being primed for the interest uh Yes, I do think that but not in like a weird conspiracy theory way just in the conspiracy theory that we talked about before which is this is what the people said they were going to do and they did it <laughs> like yeah uh the the frankfurt school i don't think the postmodernists did this as much but like the the these quote philosophers which is really the little political philosophers like people with political ideologies taking over the universities have they said they were going to do this. They, they're pretty clear about what they want. Um, Neo-Marxism is a form of totalitarianism. So I don't know. Carrie, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They're using an event. They use the George Floyd event. It could have been any yeah. event. It just, this one worked. They've tried to use other events before, but neither have really taken. This one yeah. took. This one was... and the visuals and it was egregious enough that like it, it spoke to their narrative just enough to really work. Right. And people were stuck home. It was a perfect storm. Yes, the coronavirus, yeah. the pandemic tensions were high. So this event worked for them to basically flip the switch and activate all of these little sleeper cell SJWs out there to tell all of these people who casually consumed social justice ideology and maybe have, have have decided they they believe in a few of the tenets or all of the tenets of it. They told all those people, you now have to become you're activated like Manchurian Canada. They turned them on. Go out, go forth into the world and preach this belief system and convert your family members and have the quote difficult conversations about race yeah. end quote and and ostracize your family members if you need to and start posting the hashtags and start posting. They turned everybody on. And you can and see the yes, switch they that, used, right? Yeah. They they did actually, yeah. you can see the switch. They said, it's time to stop. Like, you're no longer an ally if you're quiet and not being, not actually converting other people. Like, okay, you've lost your allyship status unless you're actively pushing. And they, they started to really push that message. Um, so yeah. all those people who were calling themselves allies, identified as allies, but weren't super aggressive about it, uh, went out of their ways to to demonstrate how much they of an went ally after they were. them yeah mm-hmm. i just got a text during this program that my high school my science and math high school that i'm so grateful for just had an alumni meeting and it wasn't a point of the meeting it wasn't on the agenda but some alumni at the end some sjw was like why hasn't our school made a statement on supporting black lives matter yet 
And now they're going to be putting out an official statement. That's, it's everywhere. Alum- you got to take James's advice. You should go to those alumni meetings, Karen. I just asked, is there anything I can do? Like, I'll put my neck out there. No way do I want my school endorsing this ideology. It's not an endorsement of Black Lives Matter. Everybody believes Black Lives Matter. What are they? What what they're forcing you to do is to endorse this evil ideology, this racist and sexist belief system, this Marxist belief system. That's what you're doing when you put up those hashtags and you put up that allegiance. You're taking a knee and you're bowing to this small god. This belief. It's the name of an explicitly Marxist organization. System. Let's just be clear. <laughs> like, yeah, it's the name it, of an explicit. It, it, it would be like commie, commie lives matter. I'm like, ah, uh, it's uh, sickening. Uh, it's sickening to me. Yeah. All right, uh, Ian Burns. Thank you, Ian. Ian sends us five bucks and says five pounds and says thank you all for the content. Last three shows were especially good. You guys keep me sane. Um, glad to have you here, Ian. Thank you for that. Uh, let's see the next one. Sorry, there's a there's scrolling happening now. Here we go. While Wombat. you're scrolling, look at this. Becky made business cards for us. She I'm did. so excited. This is anyway. I, it's just, it's the little things these days. These were just sitting here on my desk. And I was like, I want to show people. Thank you, Becky. Then we can go out and because I'm always writing down my info on the back of napkins and stuff. Check out my podcast. I here, ordered, let me scroll just for the record. <laughs> I ordered twice as many cards for Carrie than I did for myself because I was like, she's probably more than twice as social as I am. So she's gonna rip through these cards super quickly. Um, <laughs> Wombat of Doom, thank you, Wombat. Wombat gives us five bucks and says, "I can't think of anything witty because I'm recovering from a migraine." I'm sorry, that sucks. Migraines suck. Uh, just to pe- appreciate everything y'all do. Well, we appreciate you guys and you in particular, Wombat. Thank you. Uh, go. I'll try not to shout and turn off the lights. You can. I'm the one shouting today. Um, Low Res Voice says you can use your cards at the convention. Yeah, at the White Privilege Convention. <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll get <laughs> Sign you. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another one from GL Scott, who's very active today on Super Chat. Thank you, GL Scott. Uh, he says, Carter, I'm reading Might Makes Right Now. To be completely honest, it freaks me the F out. Yeah, uh, I didn't mean to be referencing that particular book. <laughs> that is a freaky book. Uh, it's a pretty, yeah. It's pretty blatantly, it's pretty blatantly bad, um, but it's a good book to know. Uh, wasn't it? I think one of the one of some mass shooter referenced it a lot recently. Um, <clears throat> why bother? Thank you. Why bother? Why bother? Gives us ten euros. Uh, Thank you, and why says, bother? It's a curse to have a mind if it is illegal to use it. It is a curse to have intelligence if you are forced to cloak it in a lifetime of willful stupidity. Ben Elton, Blind Faith, another good dystopia. That sounds like That's a, a great, great dystopia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's true. It is, it is, uh, it is an accord. It is a, a curse if you're. That's a great quote. Unfortunately, you are actually in our society forced to kind of cloak any virtue you've got. Uh, Keith the Hat Guy, thank you, Keith the Hat Guy. He gives us five bucks and says, the African-American History Museum was asked to define their philosophy while standing on one foot. They said, whiteness equals A is A. <laughs> yeah, basically they did, right? They, they said, whiteness is all of logic and reason. Every, everything, only all of the things that have brought every material success to the world, just that's whiteness. Everything else isn't. 
Uh. <laughs> every gadget, every piece of success, every every piece of progress ever made by all of humanity rests on the uh, assumption that A is A. It rests on reason and logic, and those are what were just attributed to whiteness. So that's not racist at all, right? Um, okay. Kate Powers, thank you, Kate. Kate says, first time here, our first, first time here live, I wanted to know if either of you saw the petition from CDC employees demanding the CDC declare racism as a public health crisis. I heard about it, but I did not see it. Did you wow, see this, Oh, no. Yeah. I didn't even hear about this. Oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> I don't have anything to oh say because all I saw was the headline. And, all, and here's the thing. They're pushing racism. Racism is a public health crisis. You know what? Quit pushing it. Quit you know what's a public health crisis? <laughs> Anti-racism. Yeah, quit selling it to us under the guise of anti-racism. That's what you guys are doing. You are selling it. You're making things awful. Well, it's like those doctors, you're- right? It was all those, remember all those doctors who were like, uh, it's very important that you don't, that you socially distance, blah, 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 unless you're protesting and you're part of Black Lives Matter, in which case uh, it's yeah. a health issue that you should be together. Then it's good spreading. for your health. You should be out there. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's and crazy. now coronavirus cases are going up and they're all going, let's not talk about why like (laughs) not talking about it that's fine okay um derek thank you derek derek gives us 20 bucks derek uh magard maggard i'm not sure how to say that sorry um says uh noticed that they took down the infographic oh he's talking about the smithsonian I canceled my Smithsonian yeah. Mag subscription yesterday because of it, telling them it was the most racist propaganda I've ever seen. Also, time is on Brown's list of human universals. Uh, or, time, time, oh. meaning they they think time. the concept of time. See, oh my this god, is, no, but let me let me interject here, Carter. This is um, a, a, I have time blindness, so where do here I fit on the? You're oppressed. <laughs> <laughs> when I'll, I'll i'll admit this when you when your time blindness manifests it's i who wish to oppress you sometimes that, that definitely, definitely happens <laughs> so where do how is how is this a how's being on time a whiteness thing you know i know what they would say i'm just an outlier but whatever <clears throat> well uh again i i, I it's like everything that makes a society function is whiteness. It's ridiculous. It's no. All right. Thank you, Sunny. Sunny Jubilee sends us five bucks and says, "Thanks for introducing me to the brilliance that is Titania McGrath." Oh, if you were just finding out about her, uh, we referenced her. I think in the last show or a couple shows ago. For those of you yeah. who missed, uh, she is a character with a. She's a male comedian behind her. But she is a face or yeah, Twitter character who actually wrote a book as the character. Uh, and she is the, I think, the hero of social justice warriors. She is the social justice warrior hero. And you should definitely follow her on Twitter if you do not. So uh, she's always good for she's always good for keeping you woke in exactly the way that makes you laugh. So um, let's see. Let's see if we've got any more. We do. Hold on here. Uh the G. Schultz, thank you. The G. Schultz sends us two bucks and thank says, you, I'm G. biracial. Schultz. What about me? I missed the memo. Well, you're in the middle category so that uh, they can make you whatever they want. Remember that. Uh, if I can explain it to you really quickly. Uh, 
if you are a radical social justice warrior, then um, you are oppressed and uh, everyone owes you something. And if, but if you happen to not agree with them, you have internalized whiteness and you're an evil oppressor. So it's pretty straightforward. <sighs> so somebody asked, this wasn't a super chat, but I think it was yeah. eternalism asked, why hasn't this channel done a, a, an official statement of support for BLM? I'm disappointed. <laughs> we did a statement about BLM. Does that count? We, I think we should do an official statement of support for individualism. Try and make that a thing. Individuals matter. Individual lives yeah. matter. I, should we start ILM? Uh, Alan, thank you, Alan, for the super chat. He says, the ideology tells them to think in terms of cognitive distortions, which are common ways of thinking for depressed and anxious people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, again, that's enabling. It's an enabler. The ideology is an enabler for psychological dysfunction. Um, that's a really good point. Let's see. Let's see if we've got another one here. Thank you guys for all the super chats today. Yes. Happy Friday. It is, uh, it is a happy Friday. I've been in a better mood lately. I don't know if anyone's noticed. I'm not as grumpy. I rant a little bit, but <laughs> I got less grumpy. I don't know why. Uh, all right. Cecil, you know why actually? Cause I was reading Atlas Shrugged. Uh, I can explain that. Oh, my gosh. No, seriously, at a later date. Yeah, seriously. I think that's why. Uh, thank you, Cecil. Cecil gives us 10 bucks and says, uh, Melanie Phillips, uh, a British journalist, identity politics arose in the 60s as a response to horrors, for the horrors of World War II, mistakenly blaming genocide on having nation states at all. There's an amazing interview. Sent a YouTube link to Ninja Kitty. Oh, cool. Uh, we should check that check that out. I haven't, haven't heard about uh, I haven't seen that interview or heard that argument. Um, yeah, thank I mean, you. definitely, thank you, definitely. If you look at the roots of a lot of this, it is from the Frankfurt School, which was directly they were the Marxists opposing the rise of Nazis in Germany, and they viewed anyone who wasn't a Marxist was a fascist, and that they carried that ideology um, with them into New York when they went to Columbia and and started writing a lot. So um, certainly there is a, like there is a World War II, there are World War II roots to all of this. And it is, they are, all of that philosophy is, is based on the idea that um, Marxism is the only, or a neo-Marxism is the only acceptable alternative a, to fascism. That those are, the, it's, a, it's a false dichotomy they set up. And so their, their goal is all that philosophy is just in service to getting some form of Marxism to manifest. So, all right. Uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I'm just laughing at one of the super chats. <clears throat> okay. Well, I'm almost to the next super uh, chat, I think. Mary Little. Is that the next one? Uh, 499. I don't actually Mary. know. Welcome to the show. I recognize your name, but I don't know if it's from Super Chat or from somewhere else, but thank you. Um, she says, thank you. The gospel of social justice has just arrived in the in my small, isolated town. I appreciate your help with the fight. Well, thank you for the Super Chat. And if you haven't watched it, yesterday, the interview we did with James, James Lindsay, it's a pretty long one. It's two and a half hours, but I definitely recommend it. And at the end, at the very end, if you want to fast forward, we talked to him about practical advice for people. And one of his biggest pieces of advice was 
join the committees. Yeah. Join the groups. Join the and so that you have a voice. You know, volunteer to be on the committee that does something about systemic racism, so that you have a voice there. And um, you know, get involved. And 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 above all, my advice would be: don't let them claim the moral high ground. You know. I am in this fight against social justice ideology because I think racism is wrong. I think it's morally wrong because I think sexism is wrong. I think it's morally wrong. That's exactly why I fight this ideology. It's why if white supremacy were currently mainstream and taking over every bit of culture the way that this is, I would also be fighting that. This is what happens to be the dominant culture at the moment and it is equally racist and repugnant to white supremacy. So don't let them claim, they try to claim, a, they try to claim a false moral high ground while they push racism. And like, keep in mind, a lot of them have good intent. They have the same goals as you, some of them. They also want to end racism. They've just fallen for this massive evil. They've fallen for this belief system. They think they've been, they've been programmed to believe that the way to end racism, which is treating people differently on the basis of race, is to treat people differently on the basis of race. They've been right. Well, because they want to end have been sucked out. Yeah, they want to end racism as a concept that they don't understand. Right. So if you yeah. understand what racism is and why it's immoral, then this obviously is racist, and there's you can't end racism this way. But if you if you grasp racism as this abstract concept, if that's your only grasp, it's an abstract concept that I've been told is wrong, that everyone says is wrong, that I guess is wrong. And so I'm very convinced it's wrong, but I don't know why. Uh, then people can substitute stuff for it. And you're like, they just peel, you know, they, they, they peel the label back and they put something else underneath it and put the label back on. <laughs> like, hey, fight racism. Yeah. This is how you fight racism. And it's like, yeah. oh, I, I didn't really know what it was in the first place. So I'm still fighting. Um, I, if this hasn't come to you, which I think it has come almost everywhere, but if it hasn't come to you, um, I think it's actually quite important if it if you're in an organization where they haven't dealt with this, if you can be the first to talk about it and frame the discussion, you will have a much higher probability of inoculating your organization against this because the first narrative wins usually. Not always, but if you can if this is being talked about and no one in your organization is talking about it yet, it's not taken over. Um volunteer to be the person to talk about these issues like go and start talking about it so that you can inoculate your organization by by um you can so you can make the arguments easy more easily if people aren't already emotionally invested them in them so once they've adopted them they're already emotionally invested and then you've got then they already feel like they're fighting racism and then you've got to convince them that they're wrong and like there's they're held on to it very tightly but if they don't have an opinion one way or another, if it's not part of the, uh, if it's not part of the the um, culture of the organization yet, and if people don't really feel that way yet, and they're kind of not sure, if you introduce the the concepts to them, if you explain from the beginning what this is about and why it's about that, well, now they will feel identified with like, oh. I understand these things, and when the ideas come in, they won't. They will be less likely to be susceptible to. This is the only way to be against racism. You have to do these things because they'll know right away, uh, and they won't be. They won't be as easy prey. Uh, it's not a guarantee, but 
Okay, this is a special one for for Carrie. Thank you, That's Daniel. Daniel Morrall gives a super chat, and he says, "Just want to let everyone know that I still think Carrie is hot. We'll play the long game." <laughs> LOL. We'll play. Do you the want long to let game. everyone know that, or just Carrie, <laughs> Daniel? Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> I think Daniel's the same guy. I think you were the one who were. Anyway, you said that you were chat. married. He thought you were um, like currently married. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Thank you yeah. for the super chat. Uh, Kim Ray. Kim, go ahead. Contact tracers in California can't ask if a person was out protesting. Hmm, I wonder why. Yeah, they were doing the same thing in New York, Kim. They, which is hilarious because it allowed them to then put out the legacy media could put out articles saying, "Hey, the recent spike in COVID cases has nothing to do with the massive protests we all allowed and are still allowing," because, and they didn't say this part, but you could find it in other articles. The people doing the contact tracing who were asking the questions of those who tested positive for COVID were not allowed to ask if they had been to any protests recently. <laughs> it's amazing. Hey, we want to know everybody you've come in contact with. Please don't tell us if you've been to the protest. Except though. for the throngs of crowds <laughs> that you were pushed up against for, you know, an entire day. Yeah. Except for that. Please don't give us that info. Yeah. Uh but did you and the kids have a little birthday party for grandma? Because that's very important and we need to write it down. Um, Daniel, thank you, Daniel. Daniel Keene gives us a $5 super chat and says, accidentally not collecting the right data is a procedural failure of research. Purposely not collecting specific data or omitting data is lying. That is yes. correct. Uh, yes, Daniel. And they do lie. Uh, that is the one, lying. What's the one book? Social justice warriors always lie. There's the three rules. SJWs always lie, SJWs always project, and SJWs always double down. Those double were down. the three. Those are the three rules. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, um, yeah. Can, so go ahead. Just a heads up. We're gonna we're about to have some more guests on the show. I'm so excited. Um, next week we're gonna have Constantine Kissin. I'm not gonna plug the date yet because I don't know if we're doing it live or not yet. Constantine Kissin from Trigonometry. Um, we've just been reaching out to a lot of different people and we have a lot of people we still need to reach out to. And so, um, it's been, I'm, I'm really excited about some of the interviews coming up. And if you guys want to help us get the word out about our show, it helps if we can get on other shows. So if there's a show, another show that you like, um, that you think one of us would be a good guest on mention us in their comments or, or if you send them super chats, mention us in the super chat and suggest us because it helps if they've heard of us from a fan before we do the reach out especially if they're a bigger channel and they get lots of messages and lots of requests so um yeah if there's a place you think we would be good on please i that's a, a way you can help us that's not financial that's just like right. putting the word out about unsafe space or if, for example you think carrie is hot and you're playing the long game a good way to endear <laughs> yourself to her would be to get her on lots of different podcasts. I mean, just theoretically, if this was a, if anyone in chat had those feelings and wanted to really help carry out and show her, uh, <laughs> this sounds a bit like prostitution. Hey, if you can't carry on Dave Rubin, she'll, it's a long <laughs> <game>. <laughs> Oh, great. Now I'm a pimp. God damn. Uh, <laughs> let me read another super chat because it's uh, super relevant to what we're talking about. Um, Evan Flory Barnes sent us five bucks. Thank you, Evan. Evan says, Marx, the world's most famous sociopathic <clears throat> judgment warrior, 
resentfully lived off his dad's inheritance. YouTube has a doc from his Thomas Soul from Thomas Soul on this. Yeah, for those of you look, it it is ad hominem to go after Marx, uh, but it's also kind of fun because he was such a hypocrite and such a horrible person. I think didn't he get? I'm not totally sure about this, but didn't he get his like? He got one of his servants pregnant and then kicked her out on the street. Wow. <laughs> like it just he was a horrible, horrible person who lived a life of he's like Peggy, he's like the Peggy Macintosh of the 19th century, or whatever. Like he 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 lived a life of privilege and ran around saying, like, oh, capitalism is horrible. <laughs> he just uh he just he was kind of a scumbag. Okay, but that's not an argument against his ideas. They're they're easy to argue against. Who's- Who's the other one that um, abandoned all of his children? Oh, gosh. Oh, I don't know. Uh, it was a Derrida. Didn't Derrida abandon all of his that kids? That wouldn't surprise me, but I yeah. don't know. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if Derrida doesn't know all of his, never knew all of his kids. Um, Alan, thank you for the super chat from Alan. Alan sends five bucks and says, see if you can get James to get you on thank Brett you, Weinstein's Alan. podcast. Good idea. Good idea. I would love um, to be on Brett Weinstein's podcast. Yeah, that would be good. Um, that would be good. He's he's another, gosh, talking to him, another brilliant mind. I would not be able to pay attention to chat. <laughs> it's okay. You <laughs> don't have to, have to be always totally focus. focused. Yeah. Well, yeah. someday we'll have someone who pays attention to chat for us um, and sitting sitting here. Um, can I, can we talk, we talked about COVID. Can I? Can I talk about COVID really quickly? Um, yeah, sure. Because there's, you know, there's something. I just had the idea, like, oh, I had just had a random thought. I was like, oh, I wonder how Sweden's doing, right? Didn't we, didn't we hear like yes. Sweden? Like, ah, oh, gee, I wonder what Sweden's up to, right? I didn't do yeah. much research, but I did a tiny bit. So the first thing I did was I Googled or DuckDuckDo or whatever, and I ended up with, um, I ended up with this video which i'm going to let me let me find the spot to share here uh in the video so here we go okay so i this is cbs this is from cbs news one of the worst always that easy but i try you don't wear masks they're not alone even on mass transport can you hear that i'm wearing my mask but nobody else is okay watch for a sec the fact is though this laid-back approach hasn't worked. Sweden, per capita, has one of the worst COVID mortality totals in the world, 30% higher than the United States. In mo- so I was like, oh, this didn't, this didn't work out for them. CBS News says it. Uh, <laughs> so oh, this didn't work out believed. for Sweden. Did you so, believe CBS News, <laughs> Carter? Well, fortunately, not completely. So I did. So then I was like, gee, I wonder if there's a website like Statista uh, that collects statistics on things that you could just go look at. Turns out there is a website just like that. In fact, it's called Statista. So I went to Statista and I was like, oh, what are the death rates by country? One of the worst in the world, 30% higher than the United States. Okay, well, Sweden is up here um, and they are worse than the U.S., but there's there's a little bit of context that needs to be said here. Sweden's death rate is 7.28%. Let's look at Sweden's European friends, shall we? Italy, 14, twice as much. 
United Kingdom, 15.42. Now, by the way, this reporter, I didn't play this part of the clip, but this reporter at the beginning was like, having just come from Britain, I was shocked at how lax everything was in Sweden. Well, in Britain, lady, the death rate is twice, twice, not 30% higher than the United States, twice, twice Sweden. Britain is twice Sweden's death rate. France, 14.96. I think I said wow. Italy already. Netherlands, 11.95. So yes, Sweden is outperforming many European countries and underperforming the US, right? The US is, is down, down here at 3.88 death rate and Denmark is 4.65. So Denmark's doing a little bit better. Now, obviously, uh, there's two there's two problems with when you say outperforming you mean doing better not doing worse right I mean fewer deaths fewer and deaths. so uh, there, there's a couple problems with this and, and I just want to these are obvious but I want to point them out one is this is the univariate cause thing like all over again like they're gonna oh we're gonna look at this one factor and we're gonna attribute it to government policy right okay that's it. It's the masks or the not masks. No, no other factors are looked at. That's the implication of this entire news report. Thanks, CBS News. Right. Um, so they're giving you their her in-depth, hard-hitting analysis, and they say it. She, you could heard her. She said it like thirty percent hard. Like it's been horrible. Like they. It's this shocking. Look how bad Sweden is. So univariate cause. But they also did what the news always does, which is they completely dropped context. They didn't say, well. It's 30% higher than the U.S., but actually uh, the variance between <laughs> the U.S. and European countries, the variance is quite high. It's kind of in the middle of the pack over here. It's actually doing much better. It's twice as good as the U.K. and, like, better than Italy and Spain and France. Like, they didn't say any of that. Like, hey, here's Sweden. Actually, you've got the U.K. with draconian lockdown measures and Sweden with very little and Sweden outperforming. And, like... They didn't say any of the nuance here, which leads you to believe if you look at the actual chart and you look at the nuance, your conclusion is, I guess the government response is not the univariate cause. I don't know what the causes are, but clearly yeah. it's not just the government response. That's the opposite conclusion that they want you to draw. They want you to draw that the government response is the only cause when in fact the proper conclusion to draw is that it is not the cause at all. It can't be the only cause. Right? They want you to draw the opposite conclusion of the truth, which is it can't be the only cause. It can't be because you've got disparities going both ways with similar government uh, reactions. So I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I just wanted to share that with everyone because we don't talk about COVID as much anymore. And uh, that's for a reason. It's kind of boring to talk about and we're all kind of tired I'm of it. I'm glad that. But. Yeah, that you brought up Sweden because we were looking at them early on and saying it's going to be interesting to watch Sweden. They're going to be an interesting test case. It's one of the few places that didn't do government force shutdowns. And right. thank you for readdressing this and keeping us up to date and for pointing out the lies from CBS. Right. By the way, in chat, Elizabeth made me laugh. They were talking about how insufferable this reporter is. She's like, look at me. I'm the only one wearing a mask on this train. Throw her off. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm the only one wearing a train on the ma or mask on the train. Yeah. She, she, it's, it's so, I hate to say it. I, I want to use the word boomer, but that's not the right thing. And I don't want to, it's like, it's not a right way to disparage boomers. It's so old school corporate media. It's so like bombastic yeah. old school corporate media that uh, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. 
But there's something um, Ninja, funnier. Ninja I have one more Kitties. story if you want unrelated. That yeah. Well, real funnier. quick, Ninja Kitty says COVID is a white concept. <laughs> cool. uh, is that one of the COVID. things that might be true? Right? And then I wanted to say something about the reporters. I saw yeah. there's another there's this girl. I'm sure you've seen her. She has a she has a Facebook page called Kate's. I think it's Kate's Unsafe Space. So sometimes people tag us in her stuff accidentally. Yeah, yeah. I've searched things. She's on the website Liberty Hangouts and she's all about Second Amendment rights and is she the one with the that that carried the AR around and is kind of like Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I looked at one of her I looked at one of her videos and it was pretty funny. It was her um, getting footage from her phone of this reporter setting up a camera and microphone and everything for a local news station on an empty beach, an entirely empty beach. You couldn't see, maybe there was like two people way down there and maybe someone, you could, it, it was mostly empty. And she's setting up on the beach and she puts her mask on and she starts doing the news report. <laughs> and then on an empty beach, she has the mask on. And then as soon as they cut, she takes her mask off and packs up the equipment and goes back to her car with the mask off. Because they view it as their responsibility to they, – they they think that they are role models and that their job is to show you how you should behave. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Um, <sighs> all right. Final funny thing. My buddy sent this to me. Uh, I don't always laugh at I, – I rarely laugh out loud when I read something. But I laughed out loud at this. And uh, I don't know if everyone will. Okay. So this is an article from the Wall Street Journal about the United Teachers Los Angeles Union. Here we go. It's called Show Unions the Money. Is this the funny part yet? Imagine if your employees announced one day that they won't return to work until the following conditions are met. The U.S. economy must be made more equal, and Congress must pass, among other things, Medicare for all and $500 billion more in direct aid. Uh, Don't laugh. Those are among the many easy-to-meet terms laid down by the United Teachers Los Angeles Union before they will return to the classroom to teach children Mm -hmm. in in, uh, September. So I'm not going to read this whole article, but uh, they, among their demands, they want... um, a statewide wealth tax implemented in California. They want the police defunded. Um, they want uh, financial support for undocumented families. They want a federal bailout. Uh, all of this to return to their goddamn jobs <laughs> in September. That's their union demand. Uh, I just, I agree with uh, Jack Straw, who just said in chat, great, close the state-run schools. It's a win-win. Yes. Great. Be done. Done with you. Off with you. Go away. Look, fire them. Fire them. Fire them all. Keep the kids at home. Better off. You know what they won't get at home? They won't get critical race theory at home. That's what they won't get. You know what I want to do? And you probably, I'm guessing, will disagree with me on this. Maybe because I've mentioned it in the past and you disagreed. I can't remember. But I kind of want to apply, if the schools open back up, I, w- I kind of want to apply to teach at a local elementary school, even if it's just substitute teaching. Because I want to see I only see disagree what... with it because I want your time spent on this show. That's the main reason. But well, until want, we're maybe. making enough money for this to provide, right, right. I, have to, I have to make a living anyway. And I was thinking, what if I were making that living 
and also getting firsthand experience with what they're trying to get teachers to teach. Oh, I'm not opposed to that. If you want to go teach school, I mean, I think it would suck. It's like uh, get, join the committee, right? Go yeah. into the school, right? I, it's you know, I don't know. I I I'm a, I'm in disagreement with government schools generally, but I know what your agenda would be going in there. So uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like. I would never run for office, I don't think, but uh, I would I would hate it. But if I ever ran for office, it would be like, vote for me so I can abolish the office that you just voted me into. Like, I just <laughs> I just want to destroy everything. I'm bringing a match and some gasoline. Vote for me. Right? That, that, that would be my tagline. Like, <laughs> like woohoo. So, uh, yeah, sure. Like, you know, put me in charge of the Department of Education. It will be gone in a week, right? Like, that's, yeah. Um, so I, it could be good, but... Um, but yeah, what they're teaching, what they're teaching in school is worse than not teaching anything. So, uh, Beverly says, "Please run for office." No, because it legitimizes them. Beverly, uh, they they have no legitimate. There's nothing legitimate about them. So, um, yeah. Uh, oh gosh, is it Eche Homer? Eke. Eke. Eke like echo, eke like echo. Eke sure. Homer says, Carrie, you'd stomach it for all of 10 minutes. Yeah, I think I'd probably be fired the first day. But, but that would be a great story. <laughs> Can you record yeah. your firing and everything? It would be awesome. It would be great. We could make a whole uh, show out of it. I would try, though. I really would try. I, anyway, it's just an idea I've had because I felt like somebody needs – as long as people are still sending their kids to public schools, you know – we, it, it, I was just thinking again about what James said about joining committees and if it's in, mm -hmm. if it's getting into your kids' schools, like go to the school board meetings and stuff. Well, I'm not a parent, but I am concerned that it's getting into the public schools here. What if I were a teacher? Right. What if I could push back against it in that way and just teach what you should be teaching, history and math and English and not, instead of this, this belief system? Well, uh, good luck with that. I couldn't okay. last two seconds. I mean, I, you know, I actually enjoy teaching and I am, do actually enjoy teaching. Like I've taught a lot of founders, but I started a few accelerator programs and like I've taught people a lot. I enjoy teaching. Uh, I don't think I could, I couldn't stomach teaching in a government school, <laughs> but I used to maybe teach, you could do um, it. Maybe you could do it. I, I used to teach SAT prep for the Princeton Review. So I was teaching 11th graders and it was all tests. It was geared towards getting a higher score on the SAT. But I really enjoyed it, and I like that age group. They're um, they're on their way to becoming adults, you know. They're, right. it, it was, I enjoyed it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I enjoy the age group as well. Um, that's why I enjoy being a parent. Uh, I, I, I love kids. I think kids are awesome. And kids, frankly, I know this is cliche, but kids are our future, right? Kids, kids are what save or destroy civilization. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah education is probably when people ask generally like what can i do about blah 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 the number one answer is uh raise your kids better <laughs> like you know have kids and raise them well so that they don't turn into crazy social justice warriors right don't send them to school uh certainly not government schools um teach them to critically think you know build 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 a society build the right society for a society filled with the right kind of people i.e critical thinking individualists, right? <laughs> that's, that's what you want. So, um, and at that point, if you get enough of those people, you got critical mass of, of right thinking people, then 
laws are irrelevant and everything else is relevant. Uh, everything happens. You know, Beverly just said you could destroy everything if you ran for office. It would be great. Yeah, but uh, if enough people voted for me in when my explicit platform was to destroy it, you wouldn't need me. If enough people wanted to destroy it, I wouldn't be necessary as the destroyer. Like it wouldn't wouldn't be, wouldn't be needed. Uh, they would destroy. They would defund it well before then anyway. Uh, the problem is that people don't want it destroyed uh, because, as we mentioned way at the beginning, uh, there are people who psychologically believe that they should be dominated or some or they should dominate. And you know, with that mentality, someone's got to dominate education. Someone's got to be in charge of of everyone's kids. So. Carrie, this has been a long show. Do you think we should wrap it up? Do you got any final? Do you have Let's any like, final happy comments? Uh, make people love their life and enjoy hey, their weekends. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna plug something that's not related to unsafe space. Just a personal thing. My fella has a new album out today, and it's beautiful. And if you want to listen to some music over the weekend, you can get it. I'm gonna post it on my Facebook. Uh, but that's all. And you can also just stream it for free if you want to hear it. And Am I allowed to do that? A personal plug? Sure, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. We sh in general, probably not. But uh, in this case, why not? Sure. It's a happy note. It's a beautiful record. Yeah. yeah. Uh, give him some money because he's a musician and give they make money, money uh, through yeah, I'll, going I'll to concerts which don't exist anymore. So. Um, Which don't, yeah, it's Anthony Garcia Music. Oh, and also, so a couple people have started to notice something about the end credits. So, uh, notice away. Enjoy your Easter egg. Have a great weekend, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. I have calculated a 97.8% chance that these are all rushing bots. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Social justice is a healthy way to experience feelings of moral superiority. That last line is fake news. 
please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.